You're listening to Between Two Bridges, a business-to-business podcast. With your hosts, Anthony R. Destiny, Joe Ferrani, and Jerry Kenna. Interviewing entrepreneurs, business operators, and investors. This episode of Between Two Bridges is sponsored by Paymark Payroll. Payday is the most important day to your most important people. And Payday is made easy at www.payyourpeople.com. Here we are with another episode of Between Two Bridges. I'm your co-host, Anthony Ardesti, on a side hustle, Double A Concepts. Joe Franny, owner of uh, Doro Cleaners, Flex Source, and working on my third. Working on your third. I'm Jerry Kenna, <laughs> owner of uh, Landmark Business Solutions, Paymark Payroll, Turbo Merchant, Plum Creek Realty, some other stuff. And then the man of the hour. Yeah, I'm Hugh Rumbaugh uh, from Sarver, Pennsylvania, and uh, an entrepreneur and business owner in the local area. Born there? From I, Pittsburgh? Where are you from, buddy? I was born and raised in Freeport. I left oh. Freeport for some time and lived in Nashville and, and realized that I, I couldn't uh, could not come home. What are you doing in Nashville? I moved down there for a, a great uh, career move and uh, served me well, and it was time to come home when some family members got sick and realized that I needed to marry my wife. All right. Did she insist on that, or just... no? I think it just <laughs> organically happened. Okay. She's from here, though. Yeah, she's from the Heights area. Okay. And then uh, I know you're a man of many talents. So let's. Uh, I know you have a W two job. You have some other stuff in the works. Could you kind of let's start there? I guess. Yeah. Um, so for for W two work, I am a uh, instructional designer by trade, and I'm my last role was actually director of digital learning. Uh, I'm a learning technologist. I'm a learning evangelist. Um, anything that has to do with online learning, uh, augmented reality, a uh, bunch of different mediums for that, um, I'm involved with. And uh, I'm actually, I just finished up my artificial intelligence certification. Oh. And I'm, I'm doing uh, another podcast on, in January uh, on the artificial intelligence and gen AI and learning. So it's pretty. It'll what do you pretty think about AI? Where's it going? Where do you? Where do you? Uh, if you had to go out ten years from, I feel like we're just starting as cavemen with it right now. I believe you're right. Um, you know, there's so much noise in the marketplace right now, and I, I think what people are missing is that it is the the dawning of the internet again, right? Yeah. Like if you remember when the internet happened, we didn't know what to do with it. You know, yeah. like all these things going on, all these you know MySpace or whatever, right? Like. And you fast chat forward. Rooms, chat rooms. Yeah, chat. I mean, <laughs> things like that. Um, we see a lot of noise around, um, you know, oh, I, I did this amazing, you know, uh, input into whatever system and it gave me these results. Um, I think what's interesting is it's shifting the markets right now. I watched, I watched a uh, clip where um, there's a gentleman on Twitter, I forget his handle. Um, he is like 27 bets in a row for wins in sports betting. 
With AI? With AI. As he do. Just running players and numbers, and he's doing some really far-fetched you got his number? <laughs> yeah, I don't. Is he allowed the rivers? I, I can find his contact. But okay. um, they actually uh, they shut down a bunch of lines in Vegas over over his results. I mean, they're not mm. even taking bets. When this guy posts information, Vegas pulls it. Oh. He's been that successful with generating results based on, again, he's, he's feeding artificial intelligence, a profile of the team, all the stats. I mean, you, you take all that big data. Yeah. Put it up, Gen AI does its thing, spits it back down and goes, hey, we think that, you know, it's the Steelers by three. Well, you know, that's not the truth. But well, um, And Vegas has been on the other side of it for years, so they don't want to be on this side of it. So they're like, we'll just shut it down. That's, yeah. that's crazy because Vegas has had all the numbers and all the algorithms to figure out that Steelers plus three. And now this. And man, are they good at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's, it's going to displace a lot of uh, work that was done that was uh, – I want to say more of a manual, yeah. like I don't want to say manual labor from like digging ditches, but more manual labor from, you know, I had to create spreadsheets all day. Like data that. analytics, I feel like it's going to crush it. You click a button and something that would take me eight hours, I'm getting in 30 seconds. Yeah. Um, we've been using Power BI and Power Apps for a while to to handle like our learner data outputs. And um, so it's really, it's a really unique thing um, where... We can capture everything now with a technology called LRS, which you don't even know happens on the screen. So I know literally everything I want to know about you. If I know how to program that LRS statement, I can kick it over to Gen AI and I can have that kicked over into Power BI automatically and I'll have a real-time data meter of what's going on. And what's cool about that is, um, so I'm working on a prototype right now and, and uh, it's basically a speed, speed to proficiency um, template and uh, the idea is if you were to hire somebody for a role let's say you're going to hire a part-time accountant or an accountant and you needed to teach them um, a number of skills let's say there's 15 skills that you need to fill right and your your technical onboarding might be 90 days 30 days whatever that time is the idea of the speed of proficiency item is that you've loaded these skills you've loaded some questions you're putting that up to gen ai and you're telling gen ai when the user opens up their learning environment to to quiz them in any manner that it wants. So it's never the same question twice, right? And then you're tying that to some JavaScript and LRS data. And as you answer those questions, right, we start to get a health score. And the idea is if you interact with it every day, we've seen remarkable uh, results of speed to competency. You're you're able to do the job just faster because you've been constantly, not bombarded, but you're spending 10 minutes in a system that knows you better than you know yourself. And instead of remembering that it's A, B, B, C, B, it's it's different every time. So now you have to think to answer the question yeah, that it, it's generating. Yeah. And typically in corporations, you might have 20 or 30 people in a classroom, right? And that same question comes up on the screen. Oh, there's my neighbors. Nothing yeah. is the same. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's a dawn of a new era of how to assess and then record what people are doing. That's very um, and that's just one facet. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a super interesting time. We, we released an episode today about a, um, with Rocco, um, and he said he feels in the next five years AI is going to have to be used in the law field because their moral obligation is to save the client time and money. So why not? There's a, there's a great startup in Pittsburgh called Legal Sifter. Um, about six, seven years ago, I was working for another company, and Legal Sifter was in our uh, office as like a part-time shared space. And they were an artificial intelligence company. And I, I remember sitting with some of the guys and talking about what they do and how they do it. Really interesting stuff. Um, Legal Sifter is uh, way ahead of the curve when it comes to that. And uh, 
I think about how they start, you know, I mean, it was like six guys in a closet, right? Yeah. And where they are now and what they're doing is just, it's incredible. You know, some of these contracts that come through, you know, large major corporations, you know, oh, we got a 10,000 paid con- contract. How do we redline this? How do we review this? And, you know, they're, they were, I mean, at the time the guys were telling me they cut it by 70%. You know, give us your redline words, give us a word bank of things you want to, you know, to capture for possible redlines. And it's it legal sifted the contract, right, through artificial intelligence. It was pretty cool. Uh, so growing up, we've had a lot of different people on with various backgrounds. Did you go to school? Was that something you were interested in? How'd that, how'd that start? Yeah, I so I, when I graduated high school, I actually transitioned into the United States Postal Service. Oh, I was right. a mailman for two years, and uh, my father was a really cool guy. I liked him. Uh, my brothers maybe have different opinions, but uh, <laughs> really good guy who, um, you know, I remember him saying, he's like, this is the this is the best thing that could have happened to you. This is the best job you'll ever have in your life. And I'm like, man, if this is it, <laughs> like, you know, and, and nothing, you know, nothing wrong to the United States Postal Service workers out there. Um, it just wasn't for me. Um, I'm, I'm six, four and I'd walk a route and I'd be done two hours before I'm supposed to be done. Like, it's not, what do you do with that? You know, yeah. and now they're all GPS tracked. So that would be a really hard profession to be in. Oh. Um, so I, I was in the post office and, uh, you know, my dad was all amped up about it. And he always, he had a funny saying about me as a kid. He said, I, I don't worry about you. You work hard. I worry about your brothers. They're smart. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, like what kind of compliment is that, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, but uh, no, from the post office, I transitioned into the University of Pittsburgh. And I uh, went up to um, Pitt Titusville and, you know, like 3.5, 3.6 kid, you know, doing my thing, having a great time. Um Got down to Pitt, Maine. Um, some things had occurred in life, and, and I transitioned out of school into um, Verizon Wireless. I actually created a career there, like right during college years, into Verizon. And, um, you know, they were just starting in Pittsburgh. Bell Atlantic Mobile had just uh, converged with, I don't know if it was Bell South, I can't remember who it was. They all merged together and became Verizon Wireless. And, uh, I mean, talk about up the corporate ladder quick. Um, I was, I was in the call center for maybe six months, uh, became a trainer, then I became a national data trainer training uh, across the United States, and then at some point uh, moved into like master certification trainer and had an opportunity to go down to Tennessee in Nashville and uh, open a center for something called local number portability. You guys may remember this when you can move your numbers. Yeah. Um, and I was actually in charge of an operations team of 16 individuals. We moved the first phone number from AT&T over. Oh. So it was kind of a, yeah, it was a really neat, neat historic item. And uh, I will say this, the FCC did not have their shit together. <laughs> um, so it was a really interesting time. Um, we got so good at doing that that we worked ourselves out of a job. All right. Right. So we went back to uh, Tier 2 Tech Support. I was running a technical support team. And my grandmother had gotten ill. And so things were going on in the family. And I remember, I remember like, one of the coolest things about Verizon was, you know, I walked into my, my first boss's office and I'm like, hey, I want to go to Nashville. And she's like, yeah, you should go. You should go do that. You know, you got an awesome opportunity. And then when I left Nashville, I remember walking into, you know, my newer boss's office. And I'm like, hey, I, I got to go home. And she's like, I'll make some phone calls. And I went home and I stayed with Verizon. I mean, it was incredible. And uh, right about that time, uh, the Android device, the first Droid device, if you remember, it was like Lucas Star Wars themed, right? Droid had come <laughs> out and... Uh, I saw my first online training and my whole world was changed. Yeah. You know, the depth, the breadth, the ability for that content to live and work 24 7, 365. 
I could hold a hundred training sessions with 30 people, you know, every day and still not outwork digital learning. Um, and so that's why I shifted careers. Yeah. Oh, wow. Had the foresight to see it. Yeah. It was just, there was something about it. Eventually I went on to be, uh, I worked on the uh, go to market team for iPhone launch when Verizon finally got on that train. Yeah. And, uh, I remember the, I remember the one night like pushing the button and, you know, went out to like 400,000 employees, contractors, tech support, like launch training and like just right. Like the entire company. And, then I went over to the bathroom and I threw up because, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. hope I didn't make a mistake. Yeah. Right. Um, but uh, it was cool. When I got back to Pittsburgh, though, I knew that I wanted to start something else. Okay. So there was a, there was a turning of the tide there where... Um, is that something you always felt or it was just you're at a point in life where you're looking for something? No, I knew... So when I was growing up, my parents rented a home. Um, for like 16 years in Freeport. They, uh, my, my one brother had some medical issues and it, it set my parents back quite a bit. And, um, uh, you know, I remember the, the guy, the guy owned half the town. It was, he was a really cool guy. He was always respectful. He was, he was a great guy. I, I learned a lot by watching him, mm. learned a lot by paying attention to some of the things he was doing. And, um, I mean, even at a young age, um, we had a garage out back that was his and, uh, you know, two of the coolest classic cars in there. And it's like, man, you know, like, when do I get the this shiny wheels, cool, right? Yeah. yeah, like, um, and uh, my my other buddy that I was growing up with that I've known since I was four, his dad um, was, a, was a, you know, bricklayer involved with the, the bricklaying companies. And he had a couple of properties and they lived a little differently than we did. And I'm like, you know, you, you start to take a look at things and you go, you know, there, there's something to this. And this guy got it going on. Yeah. And I knew I wanted to get into real estate. Uh, I knew I wanted to, and this is, you know, before YouTube and before, you know. Uh, TikTok. Yeah. I'm trying to, not Sam Merrill. Who's the other guy? Um, not Grant Cardone, but uh, the first guy was like, we'll teach you, we'll teach you our three-step system. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's really easy. Buy low, renovate, and sell high. It's, it's a tough system. But uh, um, I ended up buying a duplex in Verona. And uh, we, we, you know, fixed that up. And what had, street was that on? It was on East Railroad. Um, Wait. <laughs> yeah. Did you buy my house? Where is like, what, what was the address? Uh, 713 East okay. Railroad. It's, um, okay. I'm trying to think, Sarah, um, Sarah and her husband have a business in there now. Mm. Um, I think you rent the space out for like parties and stuff. They've, okay. they've done something really well with it. And, you know, Mechanics Coffee is, yeah, yeah. Mechanics yeah. Coffee's right there. Yeah. And, um, but we bought that and we renovated, um, you know, and I was literally living, you know, one side. My wife had a townhouse in, in Oakmont Commons. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I may or may not have moved into there eventually through that renovation before we got married. And, and um, we rented out, both, rented out both sides. And I thought, man, this is great. Like, let's go do the next one. Yeah. And then you realize, like, oh, you can't have that many properties in your name. <laughs> so it's like, I need a business. So uh, we started our, our, our company um, 19 years ago, 19 wow. years ago, almost 20, almost 20 years now. And uh, we were buying some properties. We were fixing them up and selling them. And um, we didn't know what we were doing or, you know, we just really just learned by, by so trial by fire. To, you got the nine to five and then you're, you're flipping houses at night, basically. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I would uh, nights and weekends, uh, friends would help. At that point, were you flipping or were you buying and holding? Or were you doing both? I was doing both. I um, we were pretty strategic about our, our flips. We would um, 
we would use that, uh, you know, assuming we made a profit, which we actually all but one, right? And we'll talk about that one at some point here. Um, all but one, we, we, we turned a profit and we would turn that profit into that next, you know, that next rental uh, loan or space. And um, I didn't know anything. I mean, I've heard some other people in the podcast talk about, you know, school doesn't teach you finance. School doesn't teach you, you know, all the ins and outs. Uh, you know, I know you guys have talked about um, um, reoccurring revenues and different things. And um, I think that uh, there was a lot of learning that happened really quickly, um, not only for myself, but also for my wife. I mean, you know, she was high, she's highly educated, master's degree. You know, had no idea, you know, no idea that hard money lending existed. No yeah. idea that like non-performing notes existed. Like, what does that even mean? Right. You know, and um, so we we stacked up. I mean, 08, 09, 07, when that stuff fell apart, um, I, I was buying so many properties at that point. My father-in-law asked if I knew what I was doing. <laughs> and I remember telling him, yes, that, you know, it's, uh, you know, pretty easy. Buy low, sell high. And I, I truly felt like that the we bounce back when, I don't know, but everybody needs a place to live. Yeah. I think it's like circle back to like when you were talking about being a young kid and, the, and your, your friend's dad was a bricklayer, right? And he was buying property. Cause I can go back to like when I was a kid, like my family wasn't really wealthy, but you would see like their friend, the carpenter had the know with all to buy property, even in the early eighties. It's just like to get out to the next level of wherever you're headed, you need to start investing in property because everybody needs a place to live. You know, I was talking with a guy recently, and uh, it, it was funny. We were I was commiserating with him over some things, and uh, he said, "You know, real estate's great. You'll be wealthy, just not tomorrow." <laughs> and I <laughs> yeah, was like, right. mm, "Touche," you know. And and not that that's the the end goal or anything. Um, I really just wanted to own my own home, yeah. like yeah. my parents weren't successful in that. And I'm like, Hey, I, I need to be successful in that. And so we owned a bunch of them and, um, we took on a lot of debt and, um, made some decisions here in the last couple of years where, boy, the market's really high. We could unload some things and we could be debt free on the doors that we, that we want to keep. And we got to choose what we keep. So we, we made those decisions and, um, you know, we've, we've become debt free on all of our rentals, which man, that's, that's an interesting game changer where, you know, you get the phone call and it's like, the faucet's leaking or something, and you, I don't think twice about calling someone to help us out. Right. Where it was, okay, I'll be there tomorrow, right? It's a, it, a little different workflow. Um, and not that you want to do that all the time, but when you can or when you have to. Right. Um, but we've, I don't know, bought and sold roughly 50, 60 properties over 20 years. We're not big. We never wanted to be, you know, off the charts or anything. Just wanted, wanted to live a good life and my kids to, you know, see what this is about yeah so that's what it always is is like we want to do it for our kids right yeah. i mean we've had a lot of people in that seat and it seems like we circle back to the kid thing a lot i mean it's important to show our kids that we're not doing this to be famous we're doing this to be a good parent and give them a step up you know yeah, yeah i think it's we're at a point where we will probably make some decisions over the next couple of years and, and make some changes to um you know my my wife works in uh she's a teacher and, um, you know, that's, that's a load in itself and it's first grade, which is, I think one of the hardest, I think kindergarten might be slightly harder or I, I don't know. Right. But first grade is pretty tough. Um, and then she's a licensed realtor. So we, um, we, we list homes for people that we know, um, we really stay within our, our circle of folks that, that need services. And 
really what she brings to the table with that is 20 years of negotiating contracts. And, you know, that's kind of the hidden, hidden gem of her services. Um, and then she runs our Airbnb and our wedding venue. So we have, we have a, we have a farmhouse wedding venue in Sarver that, um, you know, we rent out for, it's really just another real estate rental. It's you, you get the grounds, you get the house, the house sleeps 10, you know, weekends X dollars. And, uh, you know, you want to bring in a tent company, you want to bring in a certified bartender for your event, you know, those things are completely customizable for you. So she's spending a lot of time meeting people there and clients and creating contracts and then Airbnb's busy. And, you know, that, the nice spinoff of that is we're able to support some local businesses, whether it's, you know, the cleaning companies or, um, um, you know, we have a gentleman that takes care of the grass and some other things for us. And, you know, it does it does create some things for the community, which is nice. As Just far to as, get it out there, what's the name of the uh, farmhouse? Uh, it's the Sarver Farmhouse and Wedding and Event Space. Ooh, hope I got that right. <laughs> Mouthful. Yeah, it's it's something. That's How'd a that huge, start? So, that's yeah, a I mean, cool story. Been... Yeah, um, we were we actually wanted. So I built our home nine years ago, uh, ground up. We couldn't find land that we wanted. And knew a guy uh, much like this through some business, you know, business things, and um, approached him about selling us the land, and he sold us the land. So I, you know, I built our home there, and we would drive by this little itty bitty, not it's not that small, but from the road it looks small um, farmhouse on Parker Road. It's right on the cor- hard corner if you know Parker Road. And my wife is like, we should we should knock on the door. We should send them a letter. We should buy that house. And I didn't realize it was attached to 104 acres. <laughs> like, okay. Um, corn prices are up, I think. So. Yeah, no. It's this this when you hear how this plays out, corn wouldn't have cut it. Um, so I was driving to another house. We were flipping on Bear Creek Road. Um, we did a beautiful ranch over there, and there's literally a for sale sign in the yard. Saturday morning. And I, I had come by Friday night and it wasn't there, you know? So I'm like, hey, you know, grab the kids or see if your mom can come over, whatever, and I need you to get over here. So we get over there. There were two couples that walked through it and were coming out as we were getting ready to go in. And, and I knew it was a home run for us because the one couple, the girl got sick. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be great, right? Like, I love disaster houses in a sense. Um, and it wasn't that bad, but, um, you know, it was... I saw the pictures. It was that bad. Yeah, it was, it was pretty rough. Um, it's over a 100-year-old home. It is three-and-a-half-course brick thick. It is the real deal to renovate. It was three years of renovation. Wow. Um, I would rather build, you know, four or five new construction homes before I do one of those again. Structural steel was brought in. You know, brick budget was X. Three X later, bricks done, structural steel's in, and... Um, you know, we redid a whole half of the house that was framed timber, and I mean, it was a go. But uh, it's it's been it's been really really well received for a, a small modest wedding venue. So that was the vision all along. Was it to be a wedding venue or no? Not at all. <laughs> I was going to fix that house and sell it. Yeah. Uh, concrete guy was there, Jason. If you're listening, thanks, Jason Resnick. Concrete. Um, he stopped me. We were pouring. I mean, like like Jerry said, it was a mess. Uh, we had to, we jackhammered. Uh, we opened up the side of the house and brought a machine in. I mean, it was that you know half of the house is crawl space, the other half is concrete. Well, they didn't have concrete back then, so it was all stone. Yeah. Oh. So we dug up this stone floor, and I'm like, what are we gonna do with all this stone? And it turned into this beautiful flag stone patio now. But you know, at the time, you're like, okay, just stack those up in the corner. Um, 
But we were pouring, we were pouring that inside pour, getting a sewer line set up because the house was on septic. We ran a sewer line 850 feet. So if you know what that costs, linear foot, you know, <laughs> this is how we're starting the project, yeah. right? Um, and Jason's just like, dude, you can't sell this place. He's like, you, you can't sell this place. I'm like, buddy, like, you're killing me. Like, you're not allowed to talk to my wife. He's like, winery, brewery, you know, something. You got to hang on to this place. I'm like, dude, I don't know, you know, and Claudine pulled up at lunchtime. Conversation was had. And the next thing I know, I'm like, okay, here we go. So, you know, we were renovating to X. And I'd say when you know that you're going to do something a little higher end, you know, things escalate quickly. So, but it turned, it's, it's, it's something to, to visit. It's been a real trend, like in the last 10, 15 years is for people. I mean, there's other businesses in that area that are doing the wedding venues. So, I mean... It's a, it's a niche, you know. Yeah, wedding venues are a big thing right now, especially like the farmhouse, the barn style wedding, the the more rustic style wedding. There's they're they're popping up. This is unique because it's a um, a lot of them now. They're building a building and they're making it like a big barn. Uh, we or, used to have fire hall weddings. <laughs> yeah, now it's barns, but this is like home legit old farmhouse that yeah, like right. from the 1800s. Like it's crazy. Um, Original Joiners. weather vanes, original lightning yeah. system. I mean, like it's 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 different. Yeah. Now you don't have 104 acres on it now, though. No, uh, <laughs> we don't. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, yeah. So, uh, a gentleman in his 70s decided he was going to develop 200 acres of land out there, and part of it was this farm. So that farm sold. That farm sold for I think one one or one two. And he cut off 4.1 acres that we're on today. And he thought, well, you know, the house is terrible, whatever, right? Put it on, see if you can get 100 grand for it. Okay. You know? Um, So we bought it, we renovated it. And uh, they started last year, they started putting in the housing development, which you can't stop progress. Um, It was really sad when they cut the trees down. And I know I sound like the Lorax, but man, does that change the landscape. The wind, the way the birds, I mean, it, it was it, it was crazy how it changed the land when, when and it wasn't drastic amount of trees, but it was enough to really just change. Take notice. Yeah, it was it was really strange. And, and like my, my kids had learned to dirt bike on that, that ground, you know, like it was, yeah. it's a unique thing where we drive past the house and it's like, I think that's where I crashed. And it's like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's where you crashed. Um, but they put in a housing community. Um, I believe they started off with the first two phases with Ryan Homes. They they had some stop orders happen. They had a number of things go on, you know. And I'm sure if I was to develop a couple hundred acres, I would make some mistakes too. But um, they ended up putting the price tag up on the first house across from us, and it, it's like north of six fifteen. And I was like, not so mad about a housing plan. <laughs> like, okay, it's if funny. that's six fifteen. What's this? Yeah, funny enough, my family had a business on right across from Freeport High School in Zamponia's Plaza, and this was tw- going back twenty years. And everybody said, you know, Sarver is the next, Sarver is the next, Sarver is the next. But like, if you started early enough, you didn't have time to wait it out. But now you can really see it. I mean, I haven't been up that way in a while, but the last time I was there, there's an Arby's. There's the, the whole strip's developed. They're building homes after homes after homes. It's it's really impressive to see. Sarver is definitely a residential community, um, and and I, I say that I you know I'm I'm privy to some things at the township level and at the at the school level. 
um, you know, there will be a lot of people on Facebook, on the Freeport area, so our very Facebook pages that are like, We're, we don't want to be the next Cranberry. And it's like, you couldn't be if you tried. Right. Well, they won't put um, a center turning lane in. They're working on that. Are they? That's coming, I hear. Yeah, that was always uh, a killer for us. I, I, I don't know all the ins and outs of all the planning from that perspective. But, um, you know, I think the big thing that's... It's, I, I would like to highlight our road crew in Sarver, if I might, for one minute. There are three gentlemen, and there have been three or four gentlemen for 20 years, right? Same amount of trucks, same amount of salt. Maybe, maybe <laughs> they bought more salt, but these guys have really taken care of the township, and they've done a remarkable job. Um, every time we add another two to 400 to 600 homes, you know they've 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 done a great job of managing costs and and keeping things really nice, um, and that's not an easy thing to do. Um, they're probably well well understaffed, and they're probably in need of a lot of new equipment. Would be my opinion. Um, but it's it's interesting how it impacts your school districts, right? So oh, let's add six eight hundred homes. Well, by PA law, I believe it's like you can only build to 10% more than your current enrollment. What? Right. Yeah. So, like, even if you wanted to build a bigger school, you can't get the funding. There, there's there's all these gates sure. to this thing, right? And, and as these things start to just flow, like, I mean, the school district's done a great job of not having to hire new people. They've moved real estate around. Um, Ian Magnus, the superintendent, love him or hate him. I, I love him. I think he's done a great job. Um, you know, he puts people and kids first. Um, it, it's a great place. I'm really glad my children go to school there and my wife teaches there. Yeah, it's um, created a real for, desirable location for people, especially if you want to move a little bit out. It's Allegheny County. You're out of it there, right? Correct. Yeah, we're in Butler. Yeah. Butler, yeah, Butler County. County. No emissions. If you're selling a home <laughs> in Sarver, Pennsylvania, please please reach out. You know, like yeah, it's uh, it's unique. I mean, it's a it's a great little niche, and, and you got 28 right there. Yeah, I was I was working downtown, um, you know, two career positions ago, and some days I was down there in twenty five minutes, and some days I was down there in an hour and twenty five <laughs> right. minutes. It just depended. Yeah, but the problem, the thing with that is, is that it had nothing to do with Sarver. Right. Yeah. Right. That you're, hour, you're that extra hour was sitting near the north side. Yeah, it's always you like Fox I mean? Chapel, right, yeah. right through there. Yeah, Highland Park Bridge. Yeah, the so. mills. They, it'll back up sometimes there, but like. Yeah, I've, I made that 28 ride to that store. Yeah, 28 night. will be done soon. So. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, no, they, so northbound, we just done, came. Yeah. yeah, we came from Christmas lights this week. And we were yeah, like, they have it open. Now. Smooth Cow, sailing, man. yeah. That's all open underneath the house. Make you want to buy a Corvette? Yeah. <laughs> sure does. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, uh, we, 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 we tend to focus on, on real estate and, you know, Sarver area. I, I always say if the house is 30 minutes farther from my house i really don't want to get involved even though i was just at seven springs this week looking at something you know like that's that's kind of the next goal is you know is it tiny home community is it you know uh, airbnb in a uh, ski location something like that yeah problem is is we don't we're not getting any snow <laughs> yeah i know this global warming thing it's, it's, uh-huh. it's tough <laughs> yeah they uh they were saying that some of the slopes are open they're making snow but a lot of them aren't yeah so We'll see what happens. Um, you know, there's good years and there's bad years. I was just uh, reposting a memory from like four years ago or three years ago where we were at the farmhouse. A buddy of mine has a side by side. We might have had the kids on a yeah. ski tube and like just let's go, right? Like having a good time. So, from what I understand, also, as I was talking to a guy, Seven Springs is on the change since they sold to the Vale Group. Is it the is it Vale Group? Yeah. Yeah, Vale Group, Epic Pass. So, they're like trying to like change it into this real couture experience. 
and he was talking to a gentleman. The guy I was talking to was talking to a gentleman. It's like they're trying to make this like real swanky. They got the security guards wearing uniforms. He said, but you go down to the foggy goggle, and this girl's like grabbing another girl by their hair, and two yinzers are duking it out. And it's like, <laughs> you're not going to get real couture up here because you're drawing from <laughs> Uniontown in Pittsburgh. You know, like. <laughs> I would, you, you go anywhere you could find that, right? Yeah, right. You know, yeah. but I, I, I enjoy snowboarding. And, and uh, my kids ski, and, and we go, and we we max it out. We're not really spending a lot of time worried about the security guards or anything <laughs> else. It's more like, do we have snow, and can we get, you know, the big thing now is my children get older. It's like, okay, how many can we get in? Yeah. Right? And then dad's doing the math in his head, like, oh, the pass was this. We got that. It's, you know, it's $12 a run. Nah, this was worth it. You know, but it's it's not a cheap sport by any stretch. Um, but it, it's worth it, and yeah. it gives you something to do in the winter. I'd like to learn how to ski or snowboard, but that foggy goggle is just too appealing for me. I just, I just am like, if I break a leg, like I'm too old. I feel like I'm too old to learn. Never too old to learn. Uh, well, that, an aggressive sport like that. I feel like I'm like, Sonny Bono died doing this. Like, I'm out. Yeah, look, look at the circumstances around that. He was in the trees. Don't yeah, be in don't the trees. Yeah, don't go in the trees. Right. Um, I, think, I think, you know, my my stepfather had my stepfather and my mother had a, a – a picture up, my, my mother had cross-stitched and said, everything in moderation. Yeah, even moderation. You know, snowboarding yeah. in moderation, you'd be fine. Yeah, I saw that at a donut shop. It said, all things in moderation, even moderation. <laughs> so, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but, uh, so you got into rentals and flipping. Yep. You said you mentioned something about non-performing notes, and I don't think we've talked about non-performing notes. And most people I talk to probably have no idea what that means. Yeah, let's uh, let's do like a, I think we should talk about non-performing notes. I have no idea what it is, so let's do it. Yeah, so um, non-performing notes are a uh, I call it a secondary market. Uh, people in the non-performing notes industry would call it the primary market. Uh, but it's a secondary market to us consumers, really. We we see those as either foreclosures or like, like sheriff sale stuff. Or no, what? sheriff sale is totally different. So okay. non-performing notes. Um, let's say you take a note from PNC for two hundred thousand dollars for my house. Yeah. Uh, and let's say it's on a business because I okay. won't buy residential non-performing notes, which should be a key in this discussion of like. Don't buy non-performing notes that are residential. That's okay. that's an opinion. That is not professional sure. certified advice. But that's a whole nother process. Um, but if you're if you 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 took a business loan, you bought the building, you're operating, and things don't go well. So if I have a pizza shop that's just not doing well, you go belly up, yeah. and you have you know taken so long to this process that now the bank's coming in, right? So PNC is going to buy up, is going to take back your business. Right now, PNC is not in the real estate business or they the are, pizza business. They are, they are. Yeah, right. Um, but PNC has a bunch of business owners that do that, and so they're going to get, I don't know, twenty million dollars worth of assets together, and they're going to bundle, and they're going to sell that bundle to what I call the A market, right? And you can go on so deadx.com. If you go to debtx.com, you can see. You know, and you and I don't know if you can still sign up without. I think you need a million dollar line. I'm signed up. I get their stuff right. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it's funny. I'll get like thirty four million in Spain, and I'm like, 
I'm not going to Spain anytime soon. But it's really <laughs> interesting because it is a global debt exchange is what that debt X yeah. is. And it's all based around primary assets that are businesses. And so um, I, I met a guy out of Texas who is a what I consider an A buyer. So when you're an A buyer, you're buying 20, 30 or more million dollars worth of assets that are, you know, United States or globally, global, right? It could be global. It could just be United States. It could be could be all in California. Like, it's really fun watching the California ones right now. Yeah. I kind of find this interesting. <laughs> um, but then you have um, the B level, right? So there's going to be companies that are smaller than them that pay a few dollars, you know, per dollar, mm-hmm. right? On, you know, maybe it's a dollar per hundred dollars, whatever it is, whatever the equation is. They're buying just a tenth of that portfolio from this A company, right? Okay. By the time it gets to me, I'm buying from a C level. Right. And sea yeah. level would be, hey, we're in the tri-state area or we're in 15 states and we cover part of your state. And really the way I think about it is I, I buy usually somewhere around, you know, 10 to 30 cents on the dollar. OK. So um, we we bought one up in um, Grove City. Grove City. Thank you, Jerry. We bought one up in Grove City. It was a subway. Didn't know what was behind the doors, you know. So you you buy, you buy the note. The note was non-performing. The note transfers to you. That does not mean the asset transfers to you. So then you're going to hire a very specialized attorney, i.e., expensive attorney, <laughs> um, and they're going to get you through the note to asset process. In other words, it is going to go in front of sheriff sale. And I I set a I set a watermark. I'm like, hey, if somebody comes up with X dollars, let it rip, right? Like. Somebody wants to pay that for that while it sits, and I'm going to make the difference all day long. Yeah. You know, ours did not do that, and that's okay. Um, and we were also in, like, whatever county, you know, it's not downtown Pittsburgh where there's 200 Green investors. County or yeah. Forest County. So we, we get through the process. We get the keys, and I actually, the attorney told me he talked to the owner, and the owner would meet me there with keys. How cool was that? I met the guy. And That's so not Allegheny County. <laughs> yeah, he, he he had a pretty pretty interesting story. He had a set of circumstances. He had like eight subways and, you know, just some things that happened personally. And I'm not going to get into that. But he was he was gracious, very gracious man. Um, we opened the doors. Lo and behold, there is all brand new subway equipment in the building. You know, four or five years old. I'm like, well, that's weird. What are we going to do with this? Right? And there's just stuff everywhere. It's like, okay, um, lock it back up, go home. At the time, I had some guys that, that were working for us with the property. And I'm like, hey, I need you to call three of your buddies. And I need you to call three of your buddies. And I need like nine guys up there. We're going up one day shot. We are going to clean the entire building out. I have a dumpster company that's just going to roll 30s all day. Right? So I think we went through like six or eight 30 yarders. And these kids, I mean, they were kids. They were college kids, right? They're just sofas, office, you know, stuff, stuff had been ruined. I mean, you can't keep a building kept up for so long. Right. But it was interesting. We opened up the, the subway stuff and it was still in good shape and made, made a couple calls to some subway owners and, you know, they may have benefited by that. And, uh, um, you know, we started the process of like reconstruction or planning and my phone rang. Literally, I put a sign on the door for sale by owner. Um, we cleared the building out Maybe a week or two went by. A guy came up from Maryland, biotech, uh, government money. Maybe an offer I couldn't refuse. I never finished the building. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So we were in that for 40 hours of work. Total. Nice. It's a win. No, it was, <laughs> we're standing on third base. Yeah. It was pretty okay. good. So the, with those, you, you buy the property, 
the contents. If you wanted to open a subway there. It is a true as-is, where-is situation. Yeah, so if you wanted to open a subway, if you had an inkling to be like, I want to open a subway there, you could have? Uh, I don't know if the franchise, like, I don't know. Well, yeah, you it would have been like to subway about. Hughes Hoagies. Yeah, could have could have opened Hughes Hoagies there. Yeah. What was unique about this space? So I drive all my non-performing notes. I won't buy blind. Um, it was the only storefront that wasn't active on that strip. And then if you followed uh, baseball or some of the sports, there's a company called Dora Edge. Huge, huge. That's a guy that would be interesting to have on a on a podcast. But um, he supplies dirt all over the world now. Oh, world. And it's all made in Slippery Rock. For like baseball track. Yeah, like guys. Morning track, infield. Grant McKnight, yeah. The pitcher's mound is a special clay. It's this, yeah. it's that. It's and, and so Dura Edge was the company next door. Um, and I, I, I got to visit their office and make an acquaintance with the gentleman. And uh, legit, beautiful, beautiful operation. Um, and we were like literally the worst building next door, which is, that I love that. Yeah. You know, that's, that's there's money to be made. Um, and uh, it, was, it was a good experience. I would do it again. I would say this, um, non-performing notes right now, like if you needed a church, probably get you 15 of them in like one purchase. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really that's the the prevalent thing right now, unfortunately. So if somebody were to do that, so dead X, you have to be that's that's the A market, right? So you have to have you better got some millions. You need yeah, you right. I mean, once in a while you'll see something under ten million. Yeah. So okay. So that's not our typical demographic, right? Right. <laughs> um, not me. Not yet. Right. So you're looking at you said the C market. How does somebody access that C market? That is the secret sauce, is finding a company that deals in non-performing notes that does, you know, they're, they're the final exit to market at the consumer level. And you can't, like, they're not advertising to just any, cons- like, you don't see advertisements for this. You really have to research, dig in, do some title searches. You'll find out, you know, who's who and what's what. And uh, Is it something that you can reach out to a bank directly? No, bank wants no liability. Realtor who's listening wants no liability, right? And, and most of those companies, and I've heard you guys talk about corporate structures in a couple of talks, right? Most of those companies are structured up that you can't get to the home office. Yeah. So I was in the right place at the right time, uh, building in Trenum on the corner, uh, down by the Mason's Lodge on the corner, there was that giant building um, that was a tanning salon and a doctor, and, and I kind of knew the guys that owned it. and. I, I, I worked my way back to who owned it and then got a lunch meeting with the guy and he was one of the owners and he actually was flying in. So talked to him, made some you know good connections and uh, got some bad advice from, from someone in the family that said, oh, just partner with the other guy in the building. That guy ended up hosing me on the deal, <laughs> which is fine. Um, but more importantly, I met the guy, you know, met the guy and that was, that's really what I needed. Turns out they're more an A buyer. Yeah, they were doing me a solid. And oh, by the way, they don't want to manage assets. You know, like it's it is a pain in the ass. Yeah, there's there's a lot out there that like if you really want to dig in, because like recently, I uh, there's an app I have. It's called Huntwise. So like you can get property borders and names and phone numbers to everybody that owns property, and like you can scroll through the Fox Chapel area, and Consol Energy has plots of land staggered throughout fox chapel that you wouldn't like if you didn't have that reason to dig you would never see it but like right behind hell south there's a pond, retention pond for console energy hmm. 
So it's like we're still listed on one of the hunting apps as owning the hundred. 101 acres out of the farmhouse. It's probably hunt wise. I've yeah. had people contact us like, "Can I hunt? Hey, can I hunt on it?" And I'm like, "There's like 30 residential homes. <laughs> like, you're gonna have to drive." Well, PA's become this weird state where like, I like Iowa guys will come in, film shows. Like we've seen them in the mountains this year. They have like the Mercedes Winnebagos that rolling in with their like hunt like TV like logos on their shit, and it's like. We'll be down here drinking beers and, you know, shooting does. It's, it is what it is, but, like, it's become a big business, and they see that. So, like, wait, I have a friend that bought a house on uh, in Hampton, and it's by that no, NARAD, uh, the airport. There's, like, a, like yeah. a an airport in Hampton, mm-hmm. and their property was listed as, like, a conservatory zone where you could go hunt. So I immediately called him and was like, bro, you're green. You're green. Like, you're open for hunting. He's like, no, no, I live here. My kids live here. I'm like, you need to contact someone. So it's not up to date, but you can still see like all these like just the grids of property that are available. It's like, you, you know, throughout this real estate journey, there's a couple key players that, that I think are really important to me. Like if you're getting into real estate and you really want to dig in, um, figure out who your GIS, like uh, geographic uh, information system analyst or whoever it is in the county that, that is in that position, you know, like take a pizza and, and, you know, Coke up to them, right? Like Coca-Cola and, uh, you know, might get more if you take some. Yeah. I mean, maybe not right. Government official, but you know, get to know those guys and and like put the hundred dollars in the account. Like it's literally Allegheny County. I think I put a hundred dollars in like the deed account once a year and like I'll be driving and see an address and I'm like, Wonder who owns that deed? Like, who owns that? It looks distressed. Like, what's the deed, right? And 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 the more that you can track that back, and we could head into like how I feel like that should all be in blockchain. That's a whole nother conversation. Um, but this stuff should be easier to be searched by the public. Um, you know, in Butler County, GIS, it's not easy to meet the person or get access. And then in Westmoreland County, so like Freeport, we have like Westmoreland Armstrong. It's like a yeah, I call it the the bum hole of three counties because no one's coming down there and putting a county park because there's three counties that meet where we are and it's it's a shame, but um, you know if you can if you can get in with like the GIS folks and maybe you have to pay some money to get an account do that and then um, the deed side, right? Having access to the actual like it's literally what title search companies do. You can pay for it as a consumer. You know, you put a hundred bucks in the account. I think it's like. A dollar fifty for every page that you pull. I, I can't do the math. Maybe that's eighty pages, um, but you know you can find out a lot of information really quickly, and that's one of the key things that I think. You know, there's apps out there that'll do things, and to me, I'm like, hey, I want the legal document that shows me what they paid, what are the meets and boundaries. Like some of the properties we walk are like, oh, this is ten acres. Like, where does that, where does that GPS pin start? Because you can't tell. You know, and so you're able to get that from the deed. A lot of that's written into the deed. Hey, here's the meets and bounds and and understanding what to read in the deed. And then taking any GPS, really any GPS app that will allow you to do that. And then, you know, obviously having permission and access to the land and going out and figuring out what's what. Yeah, it's funny. Most people don't realize, you know, you drive a community and you see that vacant house that's been sitting there for two years and it's sitting empty and, you know, people that are trying to get in, well, man, I wonder who owns that. Well, go online. Well, where do I go? Especially if you're in your Allegheny County, 
I was just talking to somebody, talking to my wife about that, and she was saying something about somebody's house, and I'm like, "You want to see what their mortgage balance is, or what they what their mortgage amount was? Because it's literally public information. Yeah, I can pull up their mortgage document, and I can show you their signature on it. Yeah, I mean, I it costs a couple bucks, but yeah, like literally a couple bucks, like three bucks. Yeah, but it's a- and you can pull their mortgage document and know that. On you know December fifteenth, twenty twenty three, they took out a mortgage for three hundred and forty nine thousand dollars, and at this, this rate, interest rate right. for this amount of time, and then I can go in there and be like, yeah, and as long as they made the minimum payment and they didn't go over, they owe this much at this point. So you know what they have, you know what they owe. Um, Reverse amortization schedule. Yeah, I mean you can get access right on the Allegheny County website to. There's honestly information out there that if people realized all the information was out there, their skin would crawl. Like, there's uh, nothing secret about anything. Like, I can tell you everything yeah. about it. Um, yeah, you can pull, you could go on and pull the deed to your house right now in Allegheny County. 100%. No problem. And my mortgage I, documents. And I your tax like payments. The, and, yeah. I always use the, I use an app to uh, to screen tenants and it's it's legal, right? So it's it's PAE docket. It'll show me any yeah. legal offense, right? And every yeah. once in a while I'll put in my name and I'm like, holy cow. It's like, still there? You're like, no, I, I don't have it. Like uh, all my stuff is tied to like clients that yeah, we've yeah. evicted. Like, and I'm like, dang, like I got like. It updates. You're like, I wonder when employers pull a background check. Like, they're like, <laughs> what the heck? You know? It updates because I used to pull mine and I was like, man, I really wish that would just go away. But mm. it's it's gone now. I'm clean. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it's Public just, urination. Like said, Who does that? All that information's out there. It's just how do you find it? How do you access it? And then usually the barrier is, you know, I, I swear it's like $100, right? It's never some drastic amount of, of, of money to get started in one of these systems. And people, it's it's like walls. There there are walls put up for people in life, and they just can't get over them. And it's yeah, like, we've okay. talked about like the willingness of people. You know, the people at this table and the people we've had on, they all take this leap. And oh, yeah. I mean, even like a hundred dollar barrier is going to stop ninety people, except for the people that truly want it. Yeah, I, I, and you know, it was easy when I have a great accountant who says, you know, that hundred dollars is really a business expense. Like, yes. <laughs> You're not kidding. Full, full disclosure. Is Jerry your accountant? Jerry is my accountant. Uh, we, I, I, yes. And, and I would shamelessly plug him all day and, yeah. and I would say the same thing. I, I would say, you know, how'd you I meet said, this cat? Uh, start? When he first story? started. Yeah. No, it's about, nah, how it many was years? close. It was close. So you were working on a house on fourth street in Oakmont. Mm-hmm. And he would go into a local cigar shop, coffee shop every day, covered in paint every day, <laughs> oh, yeah. and get a cup of coffee and a cigar because he was up there working. And uh, the guys down there got to know him. And um, I guess I can say names, right? Yeah. So Greg Saxon, who was the chairman of the board at Allegheny Valley Bank at the time, he had caught Greg's interest. And uh, what's your story? Uh Real estate investor, right? Yeah. And uh, next thing you know, Greg's saying, well, maybe we need to talk for ba- about banking. And by the way, who's your accountant? Because this guy should be your accountant. So um, eventually you called me. And, uh, <laughs> I was and, busy on that house, man. Yeah, you were busy. It was That's for sure. But uh, And then we started. But that was a long time ago. Yeah. A uh, long time ago. And we've been through a lot. 
Um, and my first properties, when I got back into buying rental properties, I bought five units and they were the five units that you sold off to go debt free on your rentals. So, uh, so I bought all the shit so that you could go debt free. (laughs) (laughs) You got a leap head start against people, you know? I just saw a house on fourth street in Oakmont, not too far from where I was in Virginia. It's listed for like three sixty five. and no offense to the people live there. They lived there for like 60 years. It's run down. Yeah. I mean, run down. Things are changing. Yeah. Things are just, square footage price is just in, incredible, whether it's new construction or, you know, something that's in need of re- rehab. It, it's not cheap. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I, I think it's the new normal, right? Somebody posted something the other day I thought was really insightful. It was like one of the realtors on the Pittsburgh investment page, uh, she, I know who it was now. She posted, if you were to wait for real estate uh, percentages to come down, like it was 1970, because this is about the percentage it was in 1970, you would wait 22 years. Oh. And it's like, would you rent for the next 22 years? And I'm like, boy, there's a lot of logic in what she, you know, what she's yeah. posting here. Well, that's what everybody keeps saying. Fall, marry the house, date the rate. You can always refinance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that kind of something that... I was just talking to you about yesterday, I think, mm-hmm. and I I actually have a little bit of fear because I see the rates are coming back down. And one of the issues that we're having as investors, and we're having it as investors, but I think it's hitting more people buying houses, like home, home buyers probably more so than investors because investors can always find a deal. And if the rates are high, that means rents are high. We can just make the numbers work. But... Um, if you're trying to buy a house and you've been shopping for $300,000 homes with rates at three, three and a half, four percent 4%, now all of a sudden with rates at seven and a half, eight percent 8%, you can now afford a $200,000 house or less. Um, and so rates went up, which on its surface would make you think that property value, property sale prices should come down to adjust to the new rates so that those monthly payments can stay, or you know, equivalent. Um, but they haven't. And I think the big reason why is that nobody wants to sell their house because they're like, I got two and a 2.25% rate. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not refinancing. I'm not selling. I'm not moving. Where can I go? Because my $300,000 house that I've got at 2.25, I would have to buy a $100,000 house to be able to have the same rate. Um, so they're not, they can't go anywhere. So there's no inventory. So rates, so prices are still high. Well, now we're starting to see rates come down, but prices haven't come down. So now rates are going to start to come down. People are going to start listing their homes because the conversation is going to be, well, you know, I'm at three, three and a half, you know, I really need a bigger house. Maybe five and a half isn't that bad. And I've seen rates come out this week that 5.875 um i think now that we're in the fives more people are going to start to think okay well maybe it's time that we can start thinking about selling this house so now we're going to end up with more inventory which is then going to create a supply and demand issue and prices are going to come down um and then we're going to have a race to the bottom so i think that these rates coming out i'm actually kind of nervous that the that the housing market is actually going to react very poorly to these rates coming down. And 
what, yeah, as an investor, that is, if you're an investor and you're well positioned, this is great news. Yeah, <laughs> because it's a, everything's about to go on sale. Um, but I think a lot of people that have been used to these really high values and are sitting on this property and all this money, all this equity they think they have, is about to disappear. And I think there's going to be a rude awakening over the next couple of years, you know, and, you know, not to try to get political, but the shame of it is, is that this mess has been created. Shit's going to hit the fan. Even if there is a change in leadership in Washington, it's going to happen right as shit hits the fan. And then whoever is ends up next in the White House is going to get the blame for all of it. Um, and I don't know that that's fair because this, this mess has been in the making for some time because uh, these rates, it's just this market is, I, I think that we've got a little house of cards. Like I said, I'm, I'm on the investor side. I'm not planning to sell my home anytime soon, so I can sit tight. Um, but I think it's, it could get real, real, real ugly. So I've been thinking about this a bit, right? And I, I agree with you. I think that there's, there's two things going on that, that we're not factoring into this is basically our age. And I'm 45 and you're 39. 39. Um, there is an entire, I don't, I don't want to say generation because it's probably not the right term, but there are a lot of people on the sidelines that haven't been able to get their first home. Yep. Right? And so I think we're going to see a lot of that movement that's going to take I don't want to say like smaller positions on, on purchasing, but you're, you're 200,000 sub down, like that inventory will be all day long consumed. Right. Yep. And I think, you know, the secondary home, if you're trying like, Hey, I want to upgrade my house. I want to, you know, the family grew, we grew, we're doing better financially rates are at least tolerable. Um, we want to make that move. And to your point, like the snail shell until it opens up, you can't, you know, yep. can't move around. Um, I think we will see some of that. Um, I I think there is a house of cards from an equity standpoint. I would agree with you. And I wonder how that gets knocked down. What knocks that down? Um, and I'm not quite sure I've put a, a finger on how that's going to occur. But I think that will occur on purpose, whether it's politically motivated or other. Um, and I think that um, people that have positioned themselves well will be fine. Um, I do think that we're going to see like, so I, I follow some things that are really not fun to talk about, right? <laughs> like real estate isn't like I had, a, I had a, good, a guy tell me one time, like always follow cardboard for the stock market. Like if cardboard's moving, products moving, the market's going to be good, right? That's good advice. <laughs> so domestic violence is up. Car repossession is up, right? And, and selfishly, I watch the dirt bike market and the dirt bike market is way down, like you know, bikes are cut in half in price. It's, it's, it's really, so it's like an inverse, but you go, Hmm. So what's going to happen to housing? And I wonder, because usually domestic violence goes up because let's face it, money, money makes the whole world go round, Right. And then car repossession. I think we all understand that if you, if you go on uh, TikTok right now and you look up like car repo auction, right. And you, you see these guys and, and normally I'd call bullshit, but like, they're just filming it all. 
I mean, it's live. It's happening. And that's one of the coolest things about that technology. I mean, the things you can learn from TikTok. Yeah. And I get that it's a Chinese company and I get all that. But like the access to information and the ability to really find what you want, because it doesn't have to be, I don't know what shows up in your guys' feeds, but for me, like really specific about what I type in and what I do there, because that algorithm catches on. But man, when you watch those auctions, it's like, so my father-in-law was telling me, he's like, yeah, there was like a four or five-year-old Raptor just rolled through uh, whatever, Mecham auction, whatever. He watches all the auctions. He's like, that thing sold for 27000 I'm like, poof, I'd have bought that. Yeah. How many, oh, how many guys yeah. are like, I'd have bought that, right? Yeah. 75 and, grand if it's sitting on a lot in Washington PA. That's right what now. I mean. It's, it's happening. So it's, it, it, to your point, like when and what? When will it happen and yeah. what's going to happen? And I mean, I don't want people to lose their homes. I genuinely don't. Um, and, and there's also this, I read an article about um, the aging of America, which is really interesting because they talk about the fact that there's a, ho- there's a housing shortage because there's too many humans. Right. Weird, right? I think that's a kind of a weird thing to say. But the premise was this. People are living longer, and so they're not dying. And uh, thus, the house doesn't become open to you know a sale. And it's like, okay, well, how long are those people, you know, like, is that 10 years, right? Because that could create another major tipping point based on age brackets. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I I would, you know, much like you, I'd say position yourself well. Yep. And, you know, if there's blood in the water, make a killing. You got (laughs) to do it. Yeah. And now a brief word from our sponsor. This episode of Between Two Bridges is sponsored by Paymark Payroll. Are you tired of spending countless hours juggling payroll calculations, tax filings, and compliance regulations? Well, say goodbye to that chore and let Paymark Payroll take the burden off your shoulders. With our secure online portal, you can access your business information from any internet location, even your phone. Employees will love the ability to receive direct deposits, and they can access all their pay stubs, tax forms, and information through their own portal. Focus on growing your business while we take care of the rest. With top-notch customer support, we're always here to assist you with anything at any time. Don't let payroll stress hold you back. Choose Paymark Payroll and experience the freedom to thrive. Contact us at payyourpeople.com for a personalized consultation and a demonstration of our powerful payroll solutions and see how Paymark Payroll can better your workflow. That's payyourpeople.com. Join the growing list of satisfied businesses that have embraced the convenience and efficiency of Paymark. Payday made easy. Your business deserves nothing less than the best, and that's exactly what Paymark Payroll delivers. Now back to the show. So I think uh, you kind of touched on it. You got to know when to hold and when to kind of prepare yourself and be ready for what could happen. So, you know, being being cognizant of what's going on in the in the economy around you and then setting yourself up, whether it's through, you know, just kind of stockpiling some cash or, you know, setting up lines of credit and or just whether it's just relationships like you touched on hard money, relationships with hard money guys, just being able to set yourself up so that you know that you have access to capital. Um, and then also having the willingness that like, 
maybe shit hits the fan or maybe somebody, you know, you don't want to, I don't want to come off as a, like I'm trying to profit on people's misfortune, but sometimes people need a way out. Sometimes people have, are in a bad situation and they need a way out and you're presented with an opportunity and you need to be in a place that you can, you can capitalize on that opportunity or be in a position to, to take advantage of it. Um, and you have to be willing to go all in if necessary. And, um, you know, it, it's funny. I, I was, uh, I was talking to a, a guy that owns a property and he wanted to be a landlord and he, you know, I had, I, he had one or three doors, something like that. Right. And he's like, man, I got into it and people are, people live like they live and, you know, he had problems. Right. And he's like, I just, I'm just leaving that property sit. And I'm like, what? You're going to leave it sit. Like, what do you want for Like my, it's funny. It's like so instantaneous. Like it's not on the market. What do you want for it? And like, oh, I want X dollars. It's like, can we see it tomorrow? Right. Or it's like, oh, good luck with that. You know, but um, it's funny how, you know, it's a numbers game. You have to go all in and and you're going to go broke a few times. I, you know, other people have said it on this show and I'll say it. I've, I've been there, man. I remember. You know, it used to be a funny thing. My wife and I, we'd buy a house, and uh, whether it was our money or our money lender, or, you know, and our big night of celebration was, like, I would go cut the carpets out. We'd get <laughs> J&S pizza and a bottle of wine. <laughs> and, like, that was that was literally the definition of success. Like, we had another set of keys on the ring, and, you know, this is what we did. And then it was all the work. And no one sees that. No one sees all the work. But um, I think that there, there's a lot of guys out there that, are, are fed up with, you know, humanity or how people live. And, uh, you know, it's part of the business and you got to buy the right properties and ask for the right rent. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of, um, some of the programs that are out there for assistance. They've just not shown me that there's a, a, a system in place that makes sense for, for what we do. Um, but I do, I think, I think there's a time where you go all in. I mean, listen, in, in 07, 08, 09, my hard money lender approached me and he was like, Hey, um, I'm buying like, I think he, I think it was like $3 million worth of townhomes in Florida. And, you know, I don't know how many doors it was, 90 doors, something like that. Right. And he's like, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take 30 doors. You're going to take 30 doors. And my other buddy's going to take 30 doors and we're going to do this entire townhouse plan. And I'm like, I'm 27, 28. I don't, I don't even know. Like, and I'm like, holy cow, like, yeesh, like, you know, they're all shell, you know, they've all been framed up. They're all side of windows, doors, but there's no interiors. And it's like, Okay, well, we're in a recession. How long is it going to take me, you know, to find people to do these things? And uh, I didn't do it. And to this day, I wish I would have. They did very well and held on to a couple townhouses. And it's like, man, if I if I could, could have navigated and, and saw what was coming and just didn't understand it. And then also leaving my family for that amount of time and dealing with some things down there would be really tough. Well, there wasn't a JNS pizza down there either, so... No, Janice Pizza is, is clutch. <laughs> well, you know, doing a big deal like that outside of your geographical area is just its own little challenge because all your guys are here. You know, yeah, you, know, you got to come up with your own crews down there. You know, you would have had to. It's live. hard. You'd have had to have lived there you go from door there. one yeah. to door thirty and just lived it. And uh, I, I, I sometimes wonder. You know, it's like mm, wonder what would have happened, like how that would have went. Um, but I, you know, 
we talked earlier about a hundred bucks separating some people. And I could tell you that like for me, a million one was like, <laughs> yeah. and then you meet guys that are like, Hey, it's just another zero. And you're like, all right, well, you know, that well, makes sense too. We've had that talk. Yeah. You know, in, in, you know, I, this little ride that I've been on, I mean, I was out of real estate for a little bit and I only had a couple before that and got out. And then I got back in when I bought yours and then, you know, it kind of grew fast and, um, looking at deals now i've looked at a couple of deals that were a million dollar million dollar deals and called you and went should i, I don't know, man, <laughs> what's a million dollars what's the and, cap rate right yeah like, and you're yeah. like i don't know it's another zero who gives a shit yeah does do the numbers work and i'm like yeah that's it man do the numbers work and, and the deals that i've looked at so far they have not but um but it changes your mindset when you're like oh okay it's just another zero and as long as as long as the numbers work the numbers still work and it's fine yeah, don't don't fall in love with property. Uh, fall in love with um, the asset. Like, and, and I shouldn't say that either because people are like, "Oh, it's whimsical." It's you know, no. I mean, like, this is a really well built home that's going to last for 30, 40 years before we have to replumb or re whatever. And um, you know, and I, I actually I think that's a big differentiator for like when we I hate to use the term flip. Like, we're we're big into restoration. So like the house we're doing now, right? It's complete rewire, complete re- new plumbing, new knew everything. Like we just don't, I wouldn't do something that I wouldn't live in. Yep. And, uh, and there's a price tag to that. And so when you go to apply that same, you know, I apply that same thought process to my rentals and it's like, you know, when and where you can. And it's like, man, like how do you make those numbers work? And you, you have to, you have to stick to those numbers because otherwise you will be the person that's the non-performing note. <laughs> Yeah, you hear guys who'll say, like, I'll buy it for 30, I'll put 30 into it. And it's like, well, it needs 70, you know? Yep. So then in 10 years, they're like, we're putting another 30 into it. <laughs> I always say Bob the Band-Aid, right? Like Bob the Band-Aid yeah. uh, landlord is like, number one, I hate buying from them because it's it's always just like, oh, you open walls and you're like, oh, here we go. Um, I just, I don't know. Don't, get, like kind of like what I was saying earlier, like if you're going to buy rentals, you're going to get into this. Like to me, seven is the magic number. Once you hit that seventh door, whether you have debt or you don't have debt, as long as you followed your numbers at door seven, like even if one or two are vacant, you can survive that. Mm -hmm. Where like if you have three and two are vacant, like there's a world of pain. (laughs) Like that's a personal check going out of your account. Yep. You're Um, exactly right. I'm at, I'm at nine and I have one that's vacant and I let it sit vacant for the last couple months because it. I had my. I was working on that flip project that I was doing. Didn't want to spread my guys thin. Didn't want to spread my bank account any thinner. Um, and really didn't know what I wanted to do. And now I'm. We're actually going to go out there Friday and and look at it and make a plan and what we're going to do. But I'm actually kicking around the idea of maybe I'm either going to rehab it again and and put another tenant in there or. There might be a move to fix it up well enough to sell it and uh, and pay off pay off another property. So um, I love I love debt pay down strategies. I know there's a lot of investors that are going to hear this or whatever, and they're like, "Man, he's totally free and clear." It's like, yeah, because that's a war chest for what's you know like when. Right. So that's what I look. It's at all it cyclical. Yeah, the steel market's cyclical. The real estate's cyclical. It's all cyclical. So it's coming. It's just. When? So that's the that's the the way I'm looking at it is I'm not necessarily looking to try to I'm not ready to do what you did and sell off to 
and I don't have enough equity to do it anyway, right? To where I'm going to sell off half of it and end up debt free. Um, but I'm looking at it as I like the idea that I'm going to have a piece of property that's uh, if I do this deal, I sell that house. I should be able to sell this one and end up with one that's free and clear because there's one there's two buildings that have one mortgage on them and I should be able to get enough for that one to pay off the whole mortgage. Kind of like level sets it, right? Yep. So I'll have a whole I'll have a house that's free and clear. Now, I'm not looking to just sit there with that. Can I'm I get looking, a little deeper? Are you selling a single family to pay off a multi? No, no okay. I'm not. Okay. Um, I'm selling a, a single family because it's two single families on one mortgage, two separate deeds, two separate, they're not even near each other. Yeah. But um, I'd be selling one single family and, and have another single family free and clear. But the way I look at it is then I'm going to go to the bank and say, hey, I have this house that's free and clear now. <laughs> Double down. And it's worth 100K. So I want to increase my line of credit and you can hit it for 80% or 90, 80%. Yeah. And I want an $80,000. I want to add 80,000 to my line of credit. Right. It just adds to my war chest, right? And I've looked, I've worked with hard money and I've got a really good hard money guy that is spectacular. And I, I looked at a house a couple of weeks ago and the wholesaler wanted proof of funds, um, before I could even go look at it. Um, because it was, it was, it was on the market. It was, it was going to be a really good deal, and it, it could have been a really good deal. The house was in really bad shape, and I ended up walking away from it. But I think that they were expecting, and they were they were right in expecting this. There were a lot of investors that wanted to see it. So in order to make it so that they were only dealing with the people that were serious, they wanted proof of funds before you would even show up for the open house. Um, and I hadn't closed on my house in Shaler yet. So I didn't, I mean, I didn't have a bank account with that kind of money in it. So I sent a text to my hard money guy. And within five minutes, I had a letter that Jerry's pre-approved for up to this amount of money. Uh, no, no contingencies, whatever. Um, so having that relationship spectacular. I like the idea. And part of it is that I want to do bigger deals now. So I don't want to necessarily just be buying single-family rentals all the time. I want to try to find that triplex that maybe has a little bit bigger purchase price and maybe needs a little bit more work. So what I've been trying to do in my strategy is increase either my cash balance or my line of credit balance so that I can use hard money to buy the asset and then use my cash or my lines of credit to fix the asset um, because the hard money is expensive. It's really, really expensive. And then the other part of it too, is that I'm dealing with, you're dealing with draws. So now you're constantly sending pictures to your hard money guy saying, Hey, my contractor needs another 20,000 bucks and he's wiring money. And like I said, my guy's spectacular and he's really good about it. He doesn't give me a hard time. He doesn't come out and look at it. He's like, send me some pictures. I'll send you the money. Cool. But here's the other part of it. And it's the accountant part of me. And I totally understand why he's doing it, and it's a business, and the money is set aside, and I get it. But if I'm borrowing $200,000, even though I've only taken one twenty of it, I'm paying interest every month on $200,000, even though it's still sitting in his account. And the accountant in me is like, man, I'm paying interest on money I don't have. Now, he's got it set aside. He's got it earmarked. He could be making money on that money already. So I get why I'm paying it. But if I'm using him for the purchase and using my line of credit, I'm only paying interest on money that I'm actually using. 
And the line of credit that's not being touched yet, I'm not paying interest on. And I think that that strategy, first of all, it gives me more buying power now because I have between my lines of credit and what my hard money guy, his ceiling is, I'm double that now. Yeah. So I can either do more than, although he'll do his ceilings more when you're more deals, more houses. But um, for one deal, I've basically got double the buying power now. Right. Um, and I feel like I have more control because I can write checks out of my line of credit as often as I need to. I have immediate access to that money. So just makes things a little bit easier on the building process and, and having access to that line of credit. So my whole thing is, and to somebody that's maybe in your shoes where you've got a nice portfolio that's cash flowing, not that you're not trying to grow, but I'm trying to grow. Like that's my main goal right now. Right. Buy fucking doors, right? right? So I'm trying to leverage every fucking asset I have, right? So... I've got equity in my house. I've got a line of credit on my house. Um, I'm not trying to use it all. And I'm not using that debt for stupid shit, which is the the biggest obstacle for most people is to not spend it. Right. So if I'm using that money, it's nothing gets spent out of that without the the vision of how that shit's getting paid back off. Because I couldn't imagine putting $50,000 on my line of credit on my house and just figuring, well, I'll just chip away at that for the next 20 years. Fuck that. That ain't happening. If there's 50K going on that line of credit, it's going to be on there for the next three or six months until this project's done. And then I'm going to do a refi or I'm going to sell that house and I'm going to be back down to zero. And then it starts over again. And it just changes your mindset on everything. Like the flip that I just did, I got full asking price, less than seven hours on the market. The way the buyer handled it, she had me locked. Okay. So she scheduled to see the house two hours after it hit the market, offer in seven hours after it hit the market, offer expired at midnight. No other agent had time to get another buyer into that house. Smart agent or smart buyer. Correct. Maybe both. Yep. But so now I'm like, okay, well, I got full asking. She put a ratchet clause in there, escalation clause. She uh, just curious. I don't, I don't remember. Because usually you can figure out if it's the buyer or the agent. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to look at it like, okay, well, I got full ask, so that's a win. I could have maybe gotten more than ask, but the big thing that I didn't love and I made me nervous was there were contingencies. Okay, so there was a home inspection, which I did like you did. I fixed fucking everything. There was right. nothing to find in a home inspection. It was a new roof, new furnace, right. new water heater, new plumbing, new electric. Everything was new. So I wasn't worried about you what like they nickel, were going to find. Nickel and dimed, right? Like yeah. random stuff. It was little shit, right? Yep. Um, but there was an appraisal. There was a mortgage, uh, a financing contingency. Um, so there were contingencies in there. And I know that one of the games that people are playing with inventory being low is to lock up a house and then negotiate after the inspection. And I, I thought to myself, if she locks me up and I take this house off the market, 10 days goes by the inspection. And then she says, well, I'm going to take $20,000 off. Now I'm faced with a decision is do I take that deal or do I have to go back out on the market and hope for the next one? But that hard money clock's running. The hard money clock's running. I'm paying that money out every month. Mm-hmm. And like you said, 
you know, you go in all in. I can tell you that every deal I've done, I've gone to the fucking finish line, like sweating. <laughs> so like every deal you do, I go to the closing table, fucking broke. Like we're closing. Okay. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> okay, we're all good. That's why you need now that we can start over. Again. clause, bro. That's yeah, you need that clause in there. You were talking about um, adding to like the hard money lenders amount that they can offer and then what you have to rehab with. Um, and I find it interesting. Um, so like we use Ricasa and and that's more, you know, I would say it took a really long time to get to the level where we could get the the service that Ricasa offers yeah. us and what's and i'll tell you a story after this about when things go wrong and you better have the right company that has your back and ricasa is one of those companies that does um so they don't like if we do a two hundred thousand dollar deal and we paid 119 and we took our first ten thousand dollar draw we're only on we're only on record for 129,000, right so when we take our next draw then our payment will rise. Oh, right? so, so your interest is only based on what you've taken so far. Yeah, it's only taken on. Okay. And, and I like that relationship. Yep. is not cheap, right? Like, they're not cheap by any stretch. Um, they're a company out of Ohio. They're they're the real deal. been dealing with them for, I don't know, 10, 10 12 years. Um, and uh, they've been, man, they've been so good to us. And, and we've been really good for them, right? We, we are ultra performers for them. And that's who you want because when you need that letter, you're going to get that letter, right? And when you go to do that deal that's like, well, I don't know, it's like gray area. I don't want to say gray area, but like, you know, oh, it's 87% loan to value. Well, you know, we're going to make it work. Um, there, there's ways to make that happen. And um, we, we, we did a deal a while back and, and went all, we went all in. And this is like during the farmhouse. And I can't remember. I think we, we were already in the Fox Chapel deal. So we did a deal in Fox Chapel. Um, and uh, this house was. Are we talking about the deal in Fox Chapel now? Because uh, let's do this deal. He, yeah, he, this is this is. Uh, we talked about this months ago, and you were like, "I can't talk about it right yeah, now." Yeah. But yeah, I'm this ready. is uh, so like for everyone else <laughs> to tune out. It's like tune back in, right? So, um, so we go on to Fox Chapel. We we get a great lead from from one of our our good close realtors that we worked with for years. Hey, we have a house. You know, rough numbers. I think like. It's asking 200K. It's in really rough shape. And I'm like, I like rough shape. Let's go see it, right? And we go up a goat's path of a road. And I'm like, man, like, cool. I'm in my truck and I'm like, this is, this is a road. Should have like, brought my dirt bike. <laughs> yeah, I should have brought the dirt bike. Um, and we pull up and he's like, we're here. And I'm like, here where? Like, there is a jungle of bamboo that is 20, 30 feet in the air and you can't see the property. Mm. And it's 50 feet deep of bamboo. And I'm like, holy cow, like, you know, do we knock it down to get to the door? What are we doing here? And he's like, yeah, you know, just climb your way through. And I'm like, okay. And we get in the house and it's this beautiful, I mean, just absolutely gorgeous old, you know, and when I say absolutely gorgeous, right. I, I see the vision and really old beat up shit. Um, and I'm like taking pictures and I'm sending them to my wife and I sent her a picture of the fireplace and it's this gorgeous marble, you know, in Italian, in, uh, just imported fireplace. It's absolutely gorgeous. And I'm like, could you imagine this restored? And she's like, you're buying that house. Please buy that house. I'm like, yeah, we're working on it. And uh, I'm like, ah, oh, it's a really weird, it's a weird area, right? It's a private drive. So if you hold on to nothing else, it's a private drive, which means the borough does not own it. The mm -hmm. county does not own it. The state does not own it. And uh, so we, we, uh, we do some due diligence and we come across, there was a, uh, there was a dispute between two, 
the owner of the house and one of the neighbors. And it was magistrate level. And I'm like, okay, well, that's a problem. Like, we got to figure out, you know, somebody's got to figure out what happened at this magistrate level before I'm even thinking about buying a house. And so we get the all clear. Yeah, they went through the magistrate. He paid them, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, can I get that in writing? Yes. And so we, we go through this project and um, we, you know, I remember talking to the title insurance company and I'm like, hey, you know, there was, there, were, there appeared to be a legal situation at the magistrate, you know, and I know, by the way, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know anything about law. Man, if I got, an, I, I paid for an education on this one. Let me say that. Um, and uh, we, we do the deal and we, I mean, rehab this house. Like we, we figured it was somewhere, you know, north of 700,000 when we're finished buying it for two, you know, we're not putting a half a million dollars in this house. Right. Right. We do a beautiful hardscape. I mean, it was just, it was decked out. We decked this house out. My wife, my wife's our designer. She's amazing what she does. I always joke, like, I don't choose the colors. I don't choose any of the finishes. She tells me what to do. And I just, you know, I implement that. Um, and we had some guys working with us and, uh, I had a good buddy of mine on the project and literally we're getting ready to list. And I, I start finding out like there's, there's issues on the road and, um, we put it up for sale and I don't remember all the details, but we can like basically a knock at the door. Like, you know, you can't sell the house. And I'm like, no, I, I own it. What are you, what are you talking about? You can't sell the house. And it's like, there's an entire lawsuit on the entire street. And I'm like, no, there isn't. I, I had a title search. Like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in my head, like disclosures were filled out. You know, this eyes isn't were my first day on the job. Yeah. T's were crossed. Like this is, I don't know, this is 15 years into real estate. Like, I've done non-performing notes. I, I know what, you know. I did my like, due diligence. Yeah, you know. And uh, so it turns out um, there are five or six, you know, let's call it six for easy math. I think there's six houses on the private drive. Um, they've been fighting for years. Now, something to know about us is we, we run a pretty clean ship. We're, we're you know, above board. If we have a problem, we take care of it. We have a tenant that doesn't pay. We're, we're you know, by the book, we do it, you know. And it, it could be like, hey, they stiffed us for 350 bucks. I still file. I'm that guy. Just really kind of an engineering mindset. And uh, turns out that um, the, the person that was suing all of the neighbors' sister is an attorney. And she is a very wise attorney. She filed the lawsuit in something called Lis Pence. And I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but that's as close as I can get to it. And what Lis Pence is, is a pending lawsuit. So there's, when you go to pull a title, you go to the prothonotary's office where lawsuits in motion are recorded. But there's this whole other thing that happens in the front office where, hey, I filed some paperwork, but it's not really formal. But it is. So like, holy shit, like I have a finished house. I have a hard money lender. And I have, you know, I, you know I'm not going to name numbers, but like, buddy, this is a big swing. Like this is, this is the biggest project we've ever done. And uh, it was all over the road. And I don't want to discount the fact that she's not wrong, right? Like the road was atrocious. Um, Fox Chapel Bro had not treated a, a water project that they were doing there well. Um, they were not easy to work with. Allegheny County was not easy to work with. It all stems from the railroad, actually. There's a railroad way downriver that blocks them from moving water under the railroad to the river. 
that blocks the whole way up and floods this lower area, this Fox Chapel area. And so, you know, all the water runoff is treated like, you know, gold, right? Like you can't send water down that hill because you're, you're flooding your neighbor. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Um, and look, we were in the worst situation I've ever been in my life. I mean, other than a health or medical situation, financially, I'm like, this, this is the one. Like, I've always wondered, like, I wonder if we'll get, you know, something will happen and we'll just, you know, be a non-performing note. Um, and this was the one. And I'm like, okay. And we held on six or nine months past our due date with our hard money lender and ironed out a deal. Yeah, like meters running. Like, I mean, I made offers to neighbors of like, hey, I will pay, you know, 10000 a door, 60000 to put it towards the road to, to get me out of this lawsuit. Like, just, I want out. Like, we're going to lose it all. We're going to lose the business. Hell, we might lose the house I built. You know, like, I'm looking down a loaded gun. There's no other way to say it. Jeez. Found out the pen is mightier than the sword that day. Um, We went through, I I can't even tell you how many hours of attorneys and and due diligence and and just, I mean, they had us locked up. It was a shit show of shit show. Um, We pulled in a, a good contact of Jerry's that was an engineer and like, hey, and I know some road engineers, I'm pulling them down. Like what, you know, how do we get, how do we figure this out? Like if I had to pay for the whole road and drainage just to get me out of this, like give me a number. Yeah. Um, give me the even. I want out. Number. Like where's, yeah. where's the emergency door? Like you yeah. said earlier, some people just need it out. I need it out. Yeah. Um, we had a, we had a great, we had a, we had two offers, man. We had two offers come in and we found out what we found out. And we're like, we can't do this. And both were over ask. And I think we were at like 7.15 at the time. Or, you know, they were at ask or over ask. And it's just like, how can we not, you know, like, we're hit like, a home run. Dude, this is, yeah, a walk-off grand third, slam. And the third base coach is holding you at third. Yeah, man, it, it's bad. And uh, so we know what we know. And we, we can't, you know, like, we find this all out within the span of, like, contracts coming in. And, I mean, it was the worst. I And, you know, my wife's looking at me like, what do you do? And I'm like, there's no playbook for this. Like, I was cutting my grass. My neighbor next door is an attorney. I started telling him some story, you know, telling him about it. And uh, what I love about him is he is, you know, just down to earth guy. He's like, there's always a solution. We just got to figure it out. And why don't you have a meeting with all the neighbors, bring them in. Let's talk about a, a road agreement. Let's talk about a road fund. Let's talk about, you know, these things. And uh, we do that. And it turns out inviting six people with six different opinions to one location is a horrible strategy <laughs> in negotiations. Um, I mean, people have been pissed at each other for 10 years. Like, this has been going on for a really long time. And what I find interesting is, like, why wouldn't you just do this for your kids even? Because they all, a lot of them had children. Right. Like, they're all living on a shitty get your road. Affair, yeah, get your affairs in order. Some of them were older. We had, we had you know, really cool, one of the neighbors, really cool guy. Loved him to death. Um Bob was, his name was Bob. Bob was awesome. Him and his wife were excellent people. And, you know, they lived the true core, what I call true core values. And everybody else, just terrible, terrible humans. Yeah. Terrible. Um, We went on for six or nine months. I don't know how many times I told Jerry, like, I'm I'm selling, like, I'm selling properties to hang on, to make the payment to a hard money lender. Like, I'm, okay, what can we sell? in the next 60 days to get us through the next 60 days. Like, what are we doing to make sure we live through this? And what are we keeping if we live through this? Um, You know, would you cut off your arm at at the elbow to to make it through? Like, yeah, absolutely. Um, 
So we, uh, we engage Fox Chapel because they have to be involved because there's another water maintenance project above us that's bringing water through an easement, through neighbors that signed off that all got their stuff fixed. Like this, it's just this crazy, I don't want to say nepotism, but like just really interesting, really interesting things went on. Um, and I got to a point where the original person who had the lawsuit and I remember telling her, I'm like, hey, I, I have kids. Like, I, I, we can't do this. I'm going to lose everything. Like, telling her that over the phone. Yeah. Hey, we'll set a meeting. Okay, well, she's dodging and ducking me. Doesn't want anything to do this. And, like, I'll never forget. I was on my way to work on a Friday, and I, I, I have to drive past Fox Chapel to my W-2 job. And I call my boss, and I'm like, hey, I, I have something that's emergency I just have to take care of. I, I, I'm not going to be in today off the Fox Chapel exit. I go to her house, hit the ring doorbell. I'm standing there like at, you know, the doorbell answers. And I'm like, listen, if you're not here, you're at the office. So I'm headed there next. Like, and I'm not upset. Like we got it. We got to figure this out today. Like I'm going to lose everything. And she's like, well, you know, I'll be free at the, I'm like, you, you, you're not understanding. I'll be there in 20 minutes, you know, cause her, her office is in Aspenwall and she's an architect and you know, good for her for standing by her guns because she's going to get what she wants, um, which is a new road and drainage. And honestly, it's going to increase all their home property values. Like, And we were able to parlay a deal um, with some folks down the road that were looking for their second home. They loved what we did. We were able to negotiate a price. We were able to put money in. At, like, Eventually, as I get to her office, she sends me to her sister, who's the attorney, and I'm like, look, what do I have to put in escrow? Like, what do I need to leave here to say I'm serious and I need out because, like, you're killing a small business yeah. and you're, you're killing a family, really. Um, and uh, her, her sister and I came to an agreement and, you know, basically, you know, left, uh, you know, six-figure number in an escrow account that, you know, two years ago, I think we were supposed to have a road, right? And I closed <laughs> three, four years ago. Um but we were able to get to a place in space where we were able to say, okay, you know, we can close in good faith with a new buyer and insulate them from what is going on in this, this situation. And, and it's funny because I still talk to the buyer once in a while and, and they've, they love where they live and they love the house and they love everything we did. And, you know, that's great. But like, the um, road's still not done. So, yeah. So here's the fun part. Um, her lawsuit led to, my property, another neighbor who bought and was restoring, who also didn't know that they were in this lawsuit, and the good neighbor, Bob, like, I said, hey, I've, I have an attorney. He's already read all the documentation. I'm further along in this. If you have interest, I'll give you his number. And so they, they actually did. They called uh, Larry Lutz is his name, Lutz, up, uh, Lutz and Pollock and Black, I think, up in Butler. And uh, they called Larry, and, and so he's not representing three of the six clients. And that's big. Um, one of the people on the road was a, an attorney who bought it, his house that he lives in, in an LLC. Really interesting. Just in case, you know, the feds are listening. Um, but, uh, you know, he's fighting it, right? So he kicks off a lawsuit against her because he goes to try to sell his house. After this water project was done, Fox Chapel fixed his backyard like primo. So he's like, I'm going to sell. Well, he can't sell. 
lawsuit, lawsuit, lawsuit. Like it just, Pittsburgh goes, okay, we're consolidating all these lawsuits. And so last year in the summertime, you know, year three of like, you know, when's this going to happen? Um, the judge goes out with all parties present and walks the road, right? Like not in the courthouse. Like to me, I don't even know who the judge is, but like Kudos dude's got an S on his chest, like yeah. real deal guy, going to get boots on the ground and go out and see what's going on. And, you know, he finds out what he finds out. And it, it, it is, it's, it's like people haven't taken care of. Like we, when I say gutter, I don't mean gutter. I mean, you know, trench. gutter. It's not even trench because they're, they're, they're brick lined and they need redone. And I'm not saying that, you know, what happened wasn't wrong. How it was done could have been handled a different way. Right. Um, and so I've been made promises that this is the year we'll get a road. It sounds like it's roughly $24,000 to $30,000 a house, which means I'll get back, you know, 70, ideally, 60, yeah, 70, like 000, 70, right. whatever it is, right? And uh, I still kind of feel like somehow they're, they're going to twist that. I just, wow. you know, like, you know, it's, it's like love thy neighbor, right? Yeah. And, and, and be careful who, like, be careful how much you complain about a neighbor because the next one might be worse. Right. That's it. You know, but what blows my mind is like, you know, Fox Chapel, it has its own premise, right? And, you know, very, very clean cut folks, very good professional jobs, high earning individuals, and they can't figure out a road. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's mind blowing to me. Yeah, like, you can live like, your you life. You can rent a skid steer and fix yeah. the fucking road. I mean, <laughs> this one's a little more complicated, but, you know, like, it's just mind blowing to me that you guys can't come together. But I also think it's, you know, again, not to get political, but like, you know, the world we live in is so divisive, whether it's global or in, in America, because Americans think we only have our problems, right? But right. my yeah. W2 business is global, and I see the problems that, you know, Great. One of my best friends is in India. We've worked together for years and I love him like a brother. And like some things was going on between India and Canada. I don't know if you were following any of that. And I'm like, dude, what's going on with Canada? And he's like, dude, I like, why does our country do this? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, why does our country do what we do? So it's, it's, and it's not that I don't have pride in the United States of America, but I, I just think the definition of it needs to be reexamined and people need to realize how many men have died for us to have the opportunities to have businesses, to have things that we have and pursue happiness. Doesn't mean you get happiness. Yeah, I right. can tell you I wasn't happy during this period of time. <laughs> well, uh, somebody once told me, a customer of mine said, you know, if you want to, people always want to change the world. And it's like, just change your street. Like, change, help your neighbor. And if you can help your neighbor, then change the street. If you can change the street, change the block. Change the block, change the town, change the city. Change the state, change the world, you know? Well, and in can, this case, they couldn't even change the street. They I, couldn't help the street. I can tell you I will be the catalyst to change a street in Fox Chapel. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. And technically, it's a private drive, which is a whole other set of circumstances. So, moral of the story, if you're a real estate investor and you're looking at houses on private drives, you need to ask several questions. You need to understand if there's a road agreement in place. You need to understand if there's a list pence lawsuit waiting out there for you um you know there's a lot of things and, sounds and, like an ankle injury like you know it's interesting <laughs> because we we had you know we 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 went after the title company we thought you know like this should have sure right. man they got they got great ways to write agreements you know and and that was 
that was a non-issue. And then we're still looking at uh, the person that sold us the home and, and, and his family. And, uh, you know, it's this whole, like, you should have known. And it's like, how? How would we know? You know, like, oh, you should have knocked on doors. Well, I don't knock on, like, I don't normally knock on a neighbor's door if I'm buying an yeah. off-the-market property because it's very usually there's somebody else like me that they know. Is there anything in a seller's disclosure about a pending lawsuit? So there is, and that's that's a prime that's a prime piece of evidence in the ongoing situation. I'll just say that. Um, uh, you know that was marked. No, there was no ongoing situation. You know, I I don't know. You know, I it's funny. We all we we just said all this information's out there, right? But I'm telling you, it, it, you can't look up list pens. It doesn't exist in the apps. doesn't exist in any of the technologies we pay for. So unless you physically went to that office and asked, you would never find out. That's wild. Yeah. Like I said, the person that filed that was, you know, savvy. Maybe is the way I would say it. Or vindictive. I don't know. I think they were trying to do the right thing because it doesn't encroach upon the other owners getting like a second mortgage or refinancing right. things like that. Good point, but honestly, yeah. if you're that pissed off at that point, send it. Why? Yeah. Like I'm like you send it, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Full bore. You're getting both barrels. Yeah. So, so that's, you know, that's my, sounds my like one. you's the guy you need to talk to about your issue. Up, with plum. Yeah. Up a, fucking plum, dude. <laughs> now they're building a well on the farm by me. So that's fun. Well, you have the property next door. Is yeah. the is the well a water well, or are we talking gas rates? Well, gas okay. well on a farm. Are you public water? Yeah, at your residence. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um. Yeah, it's a whole thing. I've been trying to buy this property for three years, and I can't get someone to call me back. I've been to council meetings. I've been downtown five times. Nothing. Who owns it? Uh, the lady hasn't paid taxes on it in six years, so. Let me take you in a different ends. angle. I get an angle for you. Good. She paid her school taxes. She hasn't paid anything. Okay. Here's what I want you to do. Here's your strategic playbook. All right, let's do it. I want you to go to Plum High School. Okay. And you're gonna get pushed back. So just the best term to use is I will file a right to know. Okay. That gets everyone's attention real quick. Oh. So that's a government entity. I shouldn't say. That. I don't know if the school is a government. Entity. Either way, yes, they fall is. under right to know. Sunshine Act. Sunshine Act. Okay, so right to know basically means you as a citizen have a right to know. Okay, so when they start pushing back of like, hey, we don't want to disclose what they owe in school taxes, right? And so you're going to ask a couple of questions. And really the ideal person to talk to in that situation is either, I don't know if it would be the solicitor or the business manager, but you're going to have to figure out which office you need to be in. And then you want to close that office door. And... uh, you know, you want to go in there and you want to explain that you're looking at this specific parcel. Have your parcel ID. Yep. Have your address. Got it. Right. Um, I, I would like to know what's owed in back school taxes. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're not going to tell me that. That's fine. I'll file right to know. Oh, you're going to tell me that now. Okay. Now I know. And I want to know what it costs me to pay you as a school to push this to a school sale. Sheriff sale. Won't be a sheriff sale. Because the school is going to get their money. It'll be a school sale, but it will take in lieu of deed, right? So there's another angle. And, and I believe I believe they have to owe more at the school district than they do the, the county. No, they do which well. is usually like, <laughs> right, if you missed one year of both, school taxes is higher. Way. So then the school can go to the county, 
get the paperwork right. So you can push this, you can push this through, but what you're opening yourself up to in most school districts, what they do is a closed envelope bid system. So the four of us walk in a room, we all have a closed envelope. Yeah. Envelopes go to whoever business manager or solicitor. He's going to open all four in front of us. Highest card wins. So there's pros and cons to that, but you can, you know, there's you, something about you, there's it. ways to push, right? Yeah, I'm going to have to. There's some other ways to push too, but yeah. maybe I'll what tell about, you those later. <laughs> Why have, have you, and you probably have because you said you went to the county, but what about the Vacant Property Recovery Act, the side yard program? So that's how I got into it. Yeah. that Plum had that right before COVID. I signed all the paperwork. I had a rough agreement on price. And it sat at the fucking development authority downtown since then. That's because they haven't picked and up every, the phone. And every every time I talk to, call to the them, right guy they know. Every time I talk to them, they say it's still sitting with Plum. Well, that's yeah, because the school, because the uh, borough council has to approve it. Yeah, so that's where that is. But um, that right to know. So, so that's start, the cheapest that's, way. That's start, start shaking hands and kissing babies. Yeah. <laughs> is there a house? I'm just gonna become mayor. And uh, you know, <laughs> no, I mean, is it, is it the house? It's just a yard. Just dude. a yard. Just a yard. Yeah. But the it's way land. it's situated on my property, like it should be mine. You'd have to see it. Though. Are you trying to cut a slice? Like how? Okay, it's fifteen thousand square feet that I've cut the grass on since 2019 and i just want to i want to put a building on it was that eminent eminent domain seven years yeah i believe it's only been in back texas for four and a half years yeah but if you've cared for that property that long and no one's come forward to stop you like there's definitely probably an attorney listening to like rocco rocco right (laughs) like maybe you talk to rocco and you go hey uh there's multiple angles that you can put you can put pressure on this yeah um my feeling when things are held up is like, who do I get? Yeah. There's another fish, right. you know, Somebody swimming else. around the pond. Yeah. Something, you know, if it doesn't look right, doesn't smell right, doesn't look, walk like a duck, talk like a duck. Yeah. Probably not a duck. Something's so, going on. I don't know. Can you build, is there, would somebody want it to build a house on it? You can't. There's, it's just not feasible. What about the next property over? How big's the next property over? I'm surrounded by like six properties that no one has paid the taxes on. Huh. Where do you live? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, uh, it's just a weird situation. We'll figure it out. I'll, I'll update soon. I'm going to go do that. Can you landlock that parcel? It's next to the road, so I can't. So there's frontage. But, there... but behind my house are several landlocked properties. So that's what I was going to say. Uh, is like, If there's not enough road frontage by your municipal code, yeah. right? Like, lock it up. Yeah. They don't have a choice. You know, like, you're, you're limiting. You yeah. start limiting factors for what people can do. And Yeah. But then again, how much It's time? honestly, well, you know, Plum's also got its own administrative problems right now because they just lost borough manager but um so that's not helping your situation either but yeah because that vacant property that vacant property recovery program takes a long time i mean we're years into this thing Uh, you know i don't know and i'm no nowhere closer than when i started well Keep grinding, man. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> there's walls, right? We talked about walls no, earlier, gonna, right? Like, yeah, we'll get it done. And, and it's just, I think there's, uh, you know, it's a weird I would, situation. I would deploy, like, at some point, you go, I've had enough, and deploy all strategies, like school districts getting it, yeah. the counties getting it, the, the, yeah, right, like. Well, that you there's another strategy too with what you said, 
is the, with a sheriff sale, and I, it probably isn't good for what you're trying to say, but a lot of people don't realize that if there's a house that is sitting on your block or anywhere in town uh, and you want it, if they're behind in taxes, you can actually approach the school district or municipality, and a lot of municipalities or school districts will allow you to push it to sheriff sale. So the way it works is there's a cost factor to push a property to sheriff sale. It's like probably about four grand. But you would have to put the money up mm. and pay for it to go to sheriff sale. But the way a sheriff sale works is the minimum amount of money that that property is going to sell for is the cost of the sheriff sale. So that four grand. Yeah. Um, and typically, there's two cycles to a sheriff sale. So the first sheriff sale, so if that property, say there's $40,000 worth of back taxes, they'll start the auction at what's owed plus the cost. So 44000 bucks in this example. If nobody bids, which happens a lot, then it doesn't sell. It goes back on the list for next the following month at four thousand, yeah. and then whatever it sells for, yeah. say it sells for ten, four of it goes to whoever paid to send it to sheriff sale. Mm. The rest of it gets divvied up pro- proportionately to the different municipality, you know, the the county, the municipality, and the school district, and they get made. They get something to yeah. go toward that tax debt, but then whoever buys that property, even though they only pay ten grand or whatever, that they get it free and clear of all encumbrances. Yeah. It's their property. Okay. So little little known fact at Allegheny County, um, and I've witnessed this firsthand. Um, so let's say in your example, forty four thousand, right, was the number. So when when the sheriff says forty four thousand and the room's quiet, you could say four thousand one dollar. He has to consider it. Oh. Huh. And I've seen properties sell for, for pennies. Yeah. yeah, like, oh, they owed $130,000. 36000 sold. Yeah. Right? It, so it, you're saying that if it started at 44000 and you said $4,001, mm-hmm. they can, yeah. You have to have the hood spot to put your hand up in that room and, and throw your number out. Yeah. Right? And then What's you have online to, now? Have you what? been on one lately? Since COVID, no, it's I, all I, on a team's, you can't man, even go. I always thought about like so. I went to I, I went down to many Allegheny County sheriffs. So m- most of the majority wants to learn first, right? Cause yeah, that's, yeah there's a lot of education, right? Yeah, but you have to take ten percent with you. Yeah, and um, I'm like, so it's either so now they're all virtual. Mm-hmm. There is no in-person sheriff sales in Allegheny County. Really, it's all on a Teams meeting. They send out a link every month, and you do join virtually. I need and to jump on that. It's it's cool. Yeah. You register and then you get a link like the day before or whatever and mm-hmm. you click and you join. And you have a bit a bidder pin number. And then when you want to bid, you put in your pin number and your price. And there's somebody sitting there just keep a track of the bids. And the lady just goes through and and it's all online. And then you have a certain amount of hours or you know like 24 hours or something like yep. that to get the 10% down down to the county and then you have a certain number of days to get the rest of it down there um and it's not long i used to sit down there with like 200 people in a room and i have like 10 grand in my pocket cash because <laughs> i didn't know an attorney that would write me that check <laughs> and i'm thinking like and i'm looking at the room yeah. not I'm much different than me <laughs> yeah, I'm like, everybody in this room yeah. right now there's there's a million dollars in cash sitting <laughs> yeah. in this room like and whether it gets deployed today or not is interesting um it's interesting. It's cool to see. Yeah. It's fun to like. I've never bought anything from there, um, but I've I've watched 
quite a few of them. And man, it's interesting to see. And I, I just like, so you have access to the, the, the property list beforehand. And so you can, you know, look up the webs, look up the, the houses, kind of do your research and, you know, let figure out which ones you want to look at. And sometimes it can be frustrating because you can be sitting on that fucking call for three and a half hours waiting for them to get to your house. And then they, and then they go, uh, we're going to continue that continue. one. We're going to come back yeah. the next right. month. And you're like, son of a bitch. Right. I just wasted three and a half hours of my life. And there's no rhyme or reason. Like there's a list. But they they sometimes like sometimes they get through them quick. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. sometimes it's literally like an eight hour fucking sheriff sale. It takes forever. So you're on there, man, waiting. Yeah, I used to spend like four hours. I used to watch that religiously. And what I found really interesting was there were there were two attorneys, and and I have an Excel sheet with like their names, and I would watch them, and they would only buy properties over two hundred thousand hmm. dollars, like. And I looked the properties up, and I'm like, single-family home, commercial, single-family, single... Like, they had this really weird... And I don't know who their client was, or maybe they were buying them for themselves, but, like, they had a very unique buying strategy. And, like, the one lady... I mean, she deployed $600,000 at the one sale I was at. And I'm like, I couldn't do that at the time. And I was just like, that's... like, And it's like, okay, so back to, like, all the information's out there. It's like following the cheese okay so what company name did that go into and it yeah. never matched up to yeah you know really interesting stuff down there is there a way to use hard money in a, in a sheriff sale or you kind of have to have cash or at least a line of credit that you can move like cash because you're there's you have to close fast and i don't see how you're going to be able to get a hard money guy to be able to get the funds to you or uh, I think the risk is too high for for that mark. Like you're, so remember, it's as is, where is, and you can't, you don't have access. And you don't get, yeah, you don't go in the door. The first time you walk in that house is after you own it. There was a in Ramparts. I followed one for a long time, and I wanted the house in the worst way. Right, was a meth lab. Really, talk about dodging a bullet. Right, turned out like, talked to the neighbors. Like we were doing another one on the ramparts and I ran into a neighbor and I was like, Oh yeah, I was going to buy the one over there. And he's like, that was a meth lab. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, Google. And I'm like, how did I not find this in the beginning? Yeah. But you know, it, it's, there's, there's tremendous risk. Um, especially if you don't know what you're doing. Um, I know a guy up, up above I 80. All he does is buy sheriff sell properties. He won't spend more than $10,000 on a property. He buys them. He never even, Looks at them, never drives to them, nothing, right? And he has probably 100 properties. And he just waits. And eventually he gets contacted. And he's like, yeah, I'll sell it to you, 40 grand. <laughs> right? And he's just... Turning. And he's like, ah, I said, well, what do you do when you get municipal letters and everything else? And he's like, ah, what are they going to do? It's all, it's all in a company name. I'm like, Okay. Like that risk to me, I go... Does he pay the property taxes and like that? And just leaves them empty and vacant never, or what? You know, I never... I don't know. I think he's just running fast and loose, and the strategy to me feels like you talk about a house of cards, like, no bueno. It's funny because there's like 85 pages of sheriff sales in Allegheny County. Mm-hmm. And if you go to like Forest County, they don't have a single house for sheriff sale right now. Yeah, I watch I watch uh, Somerset and some other ones, like Seven Springs area. Yeah. Like, And I'm like, oh, there's only two of these a year, and there's only six properties. Okay, here we go. Yeah. It's unique. 
So 20 years in real estate, what's next, man? What, uh, you just going to grind that? I, yeah, no. Why, why are you still at the 9 to 5? If you're, Well, I still love yeah. what I do. Like yeah. The digital learning thing is just an absolute passion. I have a lot of opportunity in that market. I, I, I just started a new company. You know, It's a consultancy firm. It's um, pietaskill.com. And right. um, pieta is a Latin word for skill, so it's like skill, skill. But I actually believe um, if you're, you're following like, a lot of the large companies are moving away from university degrees and we can have a whole conversation about education, but I believe that we're moving to more of a skill-based um, society, right? Like you're either qualified to do this or you're not. Yeah. Um, and you either have deep experience in it or you don't. And so I'm in the process right now of um, writing a course for learning management systems, how to purchase them, how to manage them, how to negotiate that contract, <laughs> like every aspect of 20 years of knowledge of learning management systems. Um, so I'm writing a course on that, going to deploy it. It's going to be super cheap, 100 bucks. There's probably 10,000 LMS administrators or people that are buying these systems. And I look at the upside of that and I go, okay, you know, I'm willing to give up my IP and what I know for 20 years so that it makes the world a better place for those that may be entering into some of these agreements. Um, and I think we're going to do some other things. I'm, I'm working with um, some folks out of compliance and, you know, healthcare and some other industry verticals that... Um, you know, specific individuals that have specific IP that, that kind of see it the way I do. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to bring those skill courses to market. And, um, you know, we're going to give that, uh, just let it run for a while. Right. Um, I'm still pursuing, you know, uh, there's definitely opportunity uh, in, in learning and development still. But I don't think I'll ever get away from real estate. Um, you know, it's it's just... It's just a passion. We love architecture. We love renovation. We love we love making things our own. And, and uh, my wife has a pretty unique style. So keep capitalizing. Uh, when we first met, you had a, a unique way of waking up. You had uh, can you share that a little bit? You had an app that you you would uh, log into. Yeah, I found uh, it. we've talked right. a lot about routines, <laughs> so, and there's a discipline here with entrepreneurs. Yeah, so it, was, um, it was interesting to me. I I, uh, I was one of the first Pavlock. It's uh, P-A-V-L-O-K, I believe. P-A-V-L-O-K. Um, Pavlock is an app that sells you a piece of hardware that's a watch. And uh, they've really they've really built it up since I started with them. But basically, it was electric shock call, right? <laughs> like, yeah. need to be up at 5 a.m., set the thing for 90%. And uh, when that alarm hits, man, you were out of bed. Now they've, you know, you can still hit yourself at 90%, but it, it's pretty cool. They, um, they offer this watch, you program it, uh, you set it up to your smartphone, you set the time you want to wake up. And what's really cool now is, um, you know, I'll set it for like a 50% three times zap, which like gets me somewhat groggy. And like, I don't want any noise because I don't want to wake anyone else up in the house because there's a lot of days I, I try to wake up earlier than the household. Um, and uh, now you have to get up and do like a puzzle or math on your phone to shut this off. And this sucker just keeps shocking you're you, just right? Like just, <laughs> you're trying to do like math and this thing's hitting you and you're like, oh, I hit like the I wrong thought button. I thought that was right, I thought that was right. Yeah, and, and like, oh, I hit the wrong button and now I'm getting shocked three more times. But um, I'm telling you, man, that's a game changer. I also had, um, I had no surgery recently. It turned out that like I had bad sleep apnea. Um, I had my whole face broken like almost 45 days ago. Yeah. And, uh, I can breathe, man. It's crazy. I can, I sleep better. I breathe better. Um, when a doctor tells you you'll breathe better, it doesn't, you don't really equate that to like Ram air. Like I have 
direct ram air going on and uh, I'm just much more oxygenated. I feel better. I'm sleeping better. Uh, the surgery was the worst thing in my life. And I say that after having a compound fracture in a leg, um, it's pretty bad, uh, but I would do it again tomorrow. Okay. You have so, a CPAP machine or not? No, I'm, I'm, I'm sleeping. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping to, over the next year, become less of a mouth breather and the nose, you know, they say it'll slowly kick in and thus like, I don't snore, but I, I, it sounds like I'm sucking the whole room in and that's detrimental to, you know, my wife's sleep. So I'm trying to, to, to honor and value her and also improve my life. So yeah, I got a CPAP machine like April and, uh, it was like one of those things everybody always told me, Oh, you snore, you know? And I'm like, well, I never heard myself. And then when I got it, I was like, man, this is great. And when I got like, like when I get nasally at night, like, I can't sleep with it. The next morning I wake up, I'm like, this sucks. This is, it's like a game changer. Yeah. So sleep's important. If you, so I, I learned, you know, I dig in, right? Like yeah. I went and saw an ENT and ENT is like, we can fix part of this problem. We can't fix it all. So you're going to plastics. And I went over to plastics, which, you know, just so much looking, trying to look more handsome, right? Like that's a joke. But, um, uh, you know, this guy, I went round and round with him for three years. I, I, I wish I would have made the decision sooner. Um, but he was telling me, like, hey, we need to figure out if this is your throat, because they can enlarge your throat. There's okay. a way that they can expand oh, your throat. So you get a bigger airway. They can remove tonsils. There's a bunch. Of, like, so it's not just, you know, mine was complete nose, like broken nose, soccer, fist fights, different things. Um, you know, I just needed to get the nose fixed. Um, so my throat and my tonsils aren't the problem. But uh, there's many ways that they can fix that issue. And when you, like you said, when you're oxygenated and sleeping, Man, the next day you're you're not exhausted. You're not you know all the thing all the side effects of not good sleep and not good oxygen. Yeah, I mean, because we we all work, so it's like you can't get eight hours of sleep. Like mm. that's not eight you know, hours. What's that? Yeah. yeah. So now I'm like I can get four with the CPAP machine, and I feel like I got eight. <laughs> if I sleep eight, it's I did something wrong the night before. <laughs> it's like I'm not waking up good at all. It doesn't matter how long I sleep. Yeah, sleep's a little bit overrated. I've I've thought long and hard about like I'm gi- I've given up a lot of sleep in my early years and still to this day. Um, but I also I don't want to live to ninety or even I don't know eighty eighties like eighties obtainable now. But you know when I was thinking about it as a kid like eighties, I've I've watched my grandmother's wither with dementia. I've I've watched you know a lot of people die and pass as you get older. Like it's it's more bad news than good news most days. Right. You know, so and so passed away, and it's like man, and I'd rather I'd rather uh, invest in in legacy, the kids, you mm-hmm. know, and and spend my time now, and be completely burnt out and just a wreck later, and, and maybe I die five or ten years earlier. But man, I like I will never regret like high quality of life. I I have zero regrets. Yeah, sleep when you're dead, right? Yeah, sleep when you're dead. Big fan. <laughs> what else, man? Anything? Uh, Anything else you want to talk about before about we wrap website? it up? No, I I think we've we've hit it all. I appreciate you gentlemen having me here today and and you know allowing me to talk about my small situation and. Uh, you know, I hope this helps somebody else, really. That's yeah. like the big thing for me is, you know, when I was 26, we didn't have YouTube or TikTok or Google or, you know, ChatGPT or any of these things. And uh, I'm just hoping there's somebody out there listening to this like, hey, we can go broke a few times and, and strategically and, and end up really well off. Um, you know, I, I grew up, I don't want to say I grew up, you know, completely poor with nothing, but, you know, it's it's been a good run and hard work, energy and effort will get, you know, attitude and effort will take you a long way. 
All righty, Hugh, how do people get in touch with you? How do they contact your businesses? Yeah, I think the best way is, um, you know, we're out on Facebook. Uh, we have a website, uh, sarverfarmhouse.com. On, on Facebook, it's the Farmhouse Wedding uh, Venue and Event Space. And uh, for the digital learning side, it's it's uh, pietaskill.com. Um, but uh, you can always reach out to me, LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, we're out there on the interwebs. Yeah, I, I mean, I met you, it was probably a month or two ago at this point, and just kind of not blown away, but it, it, you do a lot of things that I want to do. So it, it was nice to meet you then and pick your brain a little bit and sit down with you tonight. So it's been um, it's been good for me, man. Appreciate uh, it. I appreciate you. Yep. Thanks, thanks for man. coming, man. Appreciate yeah. it. Thanks, gentlemen. It's been a good one. Thank you for listening to Between Two Bridges, a business-to-business podcast. Find and follow us on your preferred podcast streaming platform. Like and subscribe, and leave us a rating and review. You can join us socially on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Yes, we still call it Twitter. You can email the show at info at betweentwobridgespodcast.com. Until next time, make it till you rake it.